So welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. It's time now for another review show. So we did work hard to get back to weekly content and then of course things got in the way in the last week or so. So we're back with a fortnightly one this time but we promised to do our best to get back to weekly content. But in saying that you did get an awesome creator interview to go back and check out uh, the, the drop last week. But we are back, as I say, with comic reviews. We're going to be looking at comics from the 14th of October releases and the 21st of October releases. So your host, as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. Delighted, as always, to be joined by my comic brothers in arms. First of all, hello, Keith. How are you? I am good. I'm not too bad. Today is the first day of my 10 days holidays from work. Uh, So I'm over the moon. I'm over the moon. Um, Took a wee bit of time to, to get here. I was I was on the phone and on the email this morning for a couple of hours just to make sure I could uh, I could tidy up and walk away for ten days. But uh, feeling good about it. Um, spent most of the afternoon. I'm uh, I'm I'm in my home place up in up in Coleraine and have been for about a week. I was working from here last week. Uh, got the train with my uh, my old karate training partner Nigel. So uh, a bit of socially distanced Cala. So that was great fun and. Uh, and I've spent uh, a good part of uh, a good part of my time up in the attic where my prime collection is located. Uh, so I've been uh, I've been servicing the needs of the beast, as it were. <laughs> so when you say you've been uh, working for the last week, you mean working on sorting out your comic collection? Well, there was a bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found a wee, few wee surprises. I think, as I as I mentioned to you earlier, Alan. Uh, some uh, some 90s uh, Silver Surfer and some 90s Howard Mackey Ghost Rider stuff that I didn't realize I had, um, and a few other bits and pieces. So uh, so yeah, it's it's a real uh, it's an interest. Well, you know what it's like. I mean, all of us who have sort of comic collections, um, y- you do have to keep on top of it because when you're buying regularly, you know you you kind of go organizing and whatever else. Now I've got a wee bit of a sort of a system. I live down in Belfast, obviously, as as you guys know, um, and I don't have a lot of room in my apartment. So, whenever I read stuff, it goes in a goes in a short box beside the sofa, right? And then whenever I've got an odd number and even number, then I, I double bag comics, put them in the in the bedroom in a holding pattern until we can get in the car and go to Korean where they can come up to the Prime collection, right? But I've I've sort of acquired a fair bit of stuff over the last three and a half years in a certain certain store that we all know and love, uh, all of which is bagged and boarded whenever you whenever you get it, so that's not as much of a problem. So I've got this the, my my main collection, and then I've got like eight long boxes of stuff that I've bought in Coffee and Heroes over the last three and a half years, which I keep meaning to file into the main collection, but I haven't quite got round to yet. So that's the project, bagging and boarding all of that stuff, and uh, and then filing everything together. So it's been. You know, as you said, Alan, it's it's both satisfying and frustrating in equal measure. <laughs> so that is how you put your comics together and you keep them stored. How about you, Mr. McCants? Uh, evening as always to Roddy. How do you keep your oh. comics uh, all together? I just fling them on the floor and then, you know. <laughs> Keith nearly it. spat out his beer when you said <laughs> that there. You know, if I want to read something, I know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the floor? On your floor? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I have... I have spatial issues at the moment. I'm sort of, I have a filing cabinet, but it, it is because of Coffee and Heroes, it's almost overflowing at the moment. So I think uh, I'll have to talk to Keith about implementing a new sort of system. So we'll have to we'll have to get in, down to the store and have a good chat about that. Sounds, Try good. And, uh, Sounds good. See if we can figure something out. 
Because I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want a two-filing cabinet system. <laughs> I like you that know, there's a really like... easy solution to your problem here. Get a second filing cabinet. <laughs> but then I don't know. Could transition over to long boxes. But... It's the way forward. I mean, they're designed for the for the purpose. But I mean, I had a, a, a panic text to Alan first thing this morning. I would have I would have texted yesterday, but I don't like to. I don't like to text the man on uh, on Sunday with business related questions. So I was, so first thing this morning I was like, "Do you have any spare log boxes <laughs> stock?" Safely, so, safely set know. aside. But I, I'm starting to wonder whether or not this, because this is an ongoing project, and you know, obviously the semi main collection stored at my mum and dad's house in Corey, and, and I'm just it's getting to the point that I'm going. This is not going to be fully sorted until I have a larger house, a larger residence than I have right now. Uh, and I'm able to, I own it, I'm not renting it, and, I'm, and I feel comfortable moving my collection to it, which will be a van load, like, it will be a van load, um, and there will be uh, many hands required, uh, but... Uh, a couple but, of runs, I think. Yeah, 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 so, so yeah, so it's, but it's, yeah, it's good stuff. A couple of runs, or else hiring of a U-Haul van for the day. Mm. Probably still a couple of runs, but I, I hear a lot of blame being thrown around here towards the store. I mean, it's like there's a lot of blame. I just recommend good stuff, you know. Yeah, I know drug dealers <laughs> do the same. We do, but you know, we like to think our uh, habit is slightly healthier, but only slightly, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, I only recently re reorganized all of mine as well. I use, I'm sort of in the middle. We, it's interesting we all have our own different systems. We use what are called really useful boxes, but they're called their their full name is christmas tree storage boxes sorry to mention the c word keith uh but they're essentially the length of a long box but they're plastic and they're shatterproof and waterproof and uh i had to i bought a new one about four weeks ago thinking that'll keep me going for ages i had to buy another new one this week so what what price are they what are they what sort of they, they are they they're relatively pricey you get them from argus uh they cost about 25 to 26 pounds but they're, they're slightly longer than a long box, and they also, you'll be happy to know, Keith, they're also wide enough to store black label collection stuff. So, boom. What more do you need? <laughs> so, what are you saying? They're, they're too wide then? Yeah. <laughs> they're the perfect width <laughs> for my needs. So, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we're just going to, as I say, sort of condense the last two weeks into one. So, just sort of have a look at a few of the bits and pieces that caught our eye over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the first thing I was just going to throw up was the previews books are going to be hitting this week. So we're going to be getting the previews books in for titles due in January. Uh, so as ever, we'll get the Marvel book into the store and the indie book into the store. So those are always free to peruse while while in the shop. But the DC ones are always online. Uh, sorry, Roddy. And they are digital only, which is both a blessing and a curse. because It's a blessing because everyone has access to them at all times. But it's also a curse because it's nice to come into the store, flick through the books, have a chat with people, that kind of thing. But DC have a big event happening in January and February. They've been teasing it for a little while called Future State. And I have to admit, from a comic store perspective, it's a bit of a pain because we have so many pull lists set up for people to get them their ongoing titles. There's regular titles every week. But for two months, January, February, a lot of those titles are just coming to a halt while this event takes place. But on the, the flip side of that, as a fan, it's an event I'm really looking forward to. There's some great creative look, uh, some great looking creative teams. There's some interesting takes on sort of future heroes. And they're all sort of condensed four-issue miniseries or two-issue miniseries. So it's not too overwhelming like the, 
962 tie-ins that just got announced for Keenan Black. So I'm looking forward to it, but I'm we're not going to go into it in too much detail here because we will talk about it in the previews podcast, certainly, and also I'm going to do a YouTube video on it as well. But I have to say I'm looking forward to it. I mean, come on, Roddy. Our boy is writing at least five titles. <laughs> our boy. Yeah, our boy. I get, I get the feeling we might talk about him a bit more next week. Uh, Ram V. Keith. Ah, yes. Um, v, yeah, I, I think this, like... From your point of view as a business, maybe not the best, but um, creatively, sounds class. Um, like finite titles, you know, no crazy tie-ins. Just sounds like great storytelling to me and a kind of a really cool idea. So, yeah, good, mm. good work, DC. There's some good, uh, there's some great creative teams on it. Uh, and, I mean, I certainly... I'm certainly interested. I'm really interested in, in in picking and choosing. It's not. I mean, it's not unprecedented. It sounds. Whenever you you told me about it first, Alan, uh, the, the the comment I made was that it sounds very much like the model that Marvel used for Edge of Apocalypse back in the '90s, where you know they put a stop to all of the regular titles. They launched equivalent titles to all of those. So, you know. Um, uh, Cable became X Man, and the Uncanny X Men became the Astonishing, and all of that sort of stuff, um, with some with some one shot tie ins to start and finish, and maybe something in the middle. So, it's a it's a it's a tried and tested model, um, and I mean, I certainly at that time I don't think it did Marvel any harm. You know, people people got onto this, and then you know signed onto the X titles whenever they came back. And uh, is it is it a case of the DC titles will be coming back at the start of a new arc rather than splitting? splitting arcs or anything yeah pretty much i mean i think that's the idea i don't think that i mean you never know what comic companies these days dc specifically sometimes but i get the feeling that a lot of arcs will close out by the end of december and Uh then you will have fresh starting points in march now it should be said that not all dc titles are on hiatus so things like batcat things like rorschach things like strange adventures anything that's a mini series or a maxi series is continuing but mm-hmm. it's just those ongoing, so your Batman, your detective, your action comics, all that kind of stuff. But okay. it, it looks really interesting, and, and I like the idea as well that people can just pick and choose. It's not, mm. I, it should be stated, oh, bad pun there, stated. Uh, hey. <laughs> it should be said, <laughs> I shall re- correct. It should be said that although I think they're going to be linked to a degree, it's not one big event where you need to read everything. I think it's a case of pick and choose what titles interest you. And, and again, we'll certainly go into more detail on that in, uh, in the future. Yeah, um, looking forward to your YouTube video. Absolutely, Aww. and the previews catalog. I have to say, it's uh, you know the the only the only kick in the teeth is of course you know with with Batman Beyond, uh, one of one of DC's underappreciated stalwarts coming to an end in the next uh, in the next month or two. There really is only one Batman of the future, and that's Terry McGinnis. So I feel like he's getting a short shrift here. <laughs> you know, you never know. He might be back in a brand new series in March. DC, DC tend to, you know, utilize Batman Beyond a lot and sort of cut it off and then give a fresh, uh, fresh creative team uh, a go. So, so yeah, so keep an eye out, as I say, for the previews podcast coming up soon and also uh, the YouTube stuff as well. So uh, a few other bits and bobs just sort of caught the eye over, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, there's a few bits and pieces, certainly TV-wise. You know, we don't always like to just talk comics here, but... It's been a couple of busy weeks TV-wise, I think, for all of us. I know that uh, you guys were both watching Lovecraft Country, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. you're watching as well, Roddy? No, well, I've watched a few. Um, still haven't finished it. Yeah, well, no, I have to be honest, <laughs> um, I haven't managed to get it finished yet either. 
but I mean, it did. The show has finished now. The first yeah. season uh, is finished, and it's finished apparently on superb ratings in the US at least, and well deserved. I think. I think. You know, it's very much made in the uh, in the in the same sort of tone and and political awareness of of Watchmen, uh, and 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 it really you know it focuses on those race issues. It's about reclaiming, you know, those those stories and that sort of genre, you know, from from H.P. Lovecraft, who himself was a problematic. His views were, I guess, around race were very problematic. Uh, and it's about putting people of color, you know, t- taking ownership of the, of that sort of thing. And I think, it, geez, I think it's a really, really excellent way of doing that sort of thing. You know, it's it's and the uh, the the characters and the the roles played in it are are fantastic. So yeah, well worth well worth keeping up with, Roddy. And I'm looking forward to finishing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've got the whole thing uh, on the Skybox, so I can actually watch it all in one go. But the reason I haven't quite got to that just yet is because I have finally given in to Keith's incessant, you know, continual insistence about how great it is. <laughs> and once again, I have to admit, unfortunately, he is right. Strike uh, first, strike hard, no mercy. No mercy indeed. Uh, yeah, I was I was sitting at home last Thursday, so Vicky and Al always take it in turns with, uh, you know, one person will take Thursday off, one person will take Friday off, and... It was about half three. I'd done all my orders. I'd done the YouTube CGC video. I'd done loads of work. And I thought, I'll maybe sit and watch a movie. I looked on Netflix and their number one show at the moment is Cobra Kai. So I'm not the biggest Craddy Kid guy in the world. I I enjoy Craddy Kid. There's a certain amount of nostalgia to it. But certainly I wouldn't be the fan that you are, Keith, given, you know, how you train and all the rest. And it's, it's, it's a big part of your life. So I thought I'll stick it on. Vicky's not that interested. I'll watch it. And I got halfway through episode one. And there's this great part where Johnny goes out in a car and he's drinking and you essentially get the equivalent of a Rocky for 80s montage as he thinks back to like when he met his girl in school and he thinks back to those happy times he beat up Danny and this kind of stuff. But then those sad times where he gets kicked in the face and I thought to myself, damn it, Vicky's going to like this. I should stop watching it. So I messaged her and said, right, do you want to watch it? I'll, I'll wait if you do. And she said, no worries, I'll watch it tomorrow. She got home. And I was like, right, you're going to watch Cobra Kai. And I was like, no, 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 uh, you've already watched the first episode today. I was like, it's that good. I'll watch it again. Watch it again. <laughs> and that one episode turned into seven episodes. And then the following three, the following night, it is just superb. I don't That's know why. Great stuff. I don't know why I doubt you at this point. You know, you, you got me on the Conan, something I wasn't a big fan of. But this is just like, it's just a nostalgic joy. It really, really mm. is. Uh, but it, uh, it knows exactly, it's a show that knows exactly who it's for it it knows the audience that it's for it knows it's for that audience that you know people of a certain age who watched karate kid the first time around who are now 30 years older you know something along 35 years whatever it is and uh so the obviously the cast is the the cast from the original karate kid uh you know playing daniel russo and, and johnny lawrence and i just it's it's tongue-in-cheek enough and nostalgic enough to to keep you coming back for that, but there's enough new story. But it's also, uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's really awesome. I think I mean the character of Johnny, who's who's this guy, you know, this this fifty year old man who is you know he's obsessed with, with the eighties, his car and his music and his 
TV and he, you know, he's always he's watching Iron Eagle. He's driving around in the T-Birds, you know, he's listening to Guns N' Roses. He's, you know, and he's just never moved past those glory days of of who he was, you know, whenever he was 16 or 17. Um, and, and then he realizes that the thing that the thing that that made him who he was then was karate and, and Cobra Kai, you know, and, and then. You know, counterpointed with Daniel's story about how lost he is following the death of, of his, his sensei and his mentor, his father figure, Mr. Miyagi. Uh, and, and, you know, his success is contrasted against Johnny's lack thereof. But, you know, neither of them necessarily been happy where they're at. It's, I just think it's, it's fantastic. It really, it, it, no, it's just, a, yeah, just the right balance of all of those things. Well, that's it. I mean, you talk about how it knows what it is, but I think there's tons of great stuff beneath the surface as well. There's actually mm. tremendous depth to it. And, you know, it's it's interesting you say about how he's stuck in the glory days and, you know, he's one of the older generation that's talking about, you know, the, quote, pussy generation that are coming through. And I love it when uh, Miguel, his his first student, comes to him and he's like, so, Sensei, I've, I've created an ad on Facebook. And he goes, what's a Facebook? <laughs> and, <laughs> and you just realize how hopelessly out of touch he is. But, but yeah, I mean, it's... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I know you're talking about just exactly that. There's one point where where one of the kids comes in, he's making fun of them. He's making fun of all of their, you know, their their the looks of them, the, how they look and their physical features, and you know, he's doing them down because that's the way his sensei did with them. You know, he was of the old school. Plus, you know, Crease was a an abusive character. He was you know a, a soldier, a Vietnam ex Vietnam vets, you know, suffering from PTSD and taking it out in the kids around him, but. Uh, you know, at one stage he makes fun of this kid, and the kid goes, "Well, actually, you know, uh, they they say I might be on the spectrum." And Johnny goes, "I don't know what that is. Get off it immediately." <laughs> just like, it's, it's, it's so good. It's so yeah, just just exactly how out of touch he is. You know, um, it's and it's redemptive as well. It's very redemptive. It's um, redemptive to a point. Now, I, of course, I will not indulge in spoilers here because you should no. see this show for yourself and just really enjoy it. But. The, the end of the first season, there were certain parts of it I enjoyed and certain parts I didn't, and I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to a good, long conversation about it. Uh-huh. Uh, the the last episode, which, of course, you know, again, it's not a spoiler of any kind. You know how these things work. There's always going to be confrontations at the end of it, so to speak, and there was just, there were certain parts that I thought could have been done a little differently, but, you know, for all I know, that's what gets explored in season two, so mm. very much looking forward to jumping into it, but... Yes, once again, Keith, I buy it your great taste and your great <laughs> recommendations. I really need to well, we, jump in know, earlier. We're, we're, we, we all recommend things to one another, you know what I mean? And, uh, and we, we have done over the years. And uh, I've never been disappointed either, so we're all good. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, just a couple other things that just sort of popped out. I saw that there was a new showrunner being on, brought on board for Power Rangers. I think they're going to try and do like a big Power Rangers live-action universe, sort of TV show, movie um obviously they're going to try and tie it into the comics and so forth i mean i'm not the biggest power rangers guy but i can like certainly with the the amount of customers we have in store who are power rangers fans i can sort of feel like a lot of excitement and hype building at the moment i mean mm. is it, i mean is this something you guys are going to be sort of checking out or getting into um i hadn't even heard about it until you mentioned it so i've kind of been slow on the news and watching tv shows recently um but yeah like there's always like a special part in my memory for power rangers so i'll always have that nostalgic element to it but um yeah it's it looks the comic stuff looks daunting at the moment 
Um, obviously, there's a couple of new jumping on points. Um, but yeah, like I, I'd be up for it. It's a monumental task to take on and try and tie together TV shows, films, and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a wee bit... The, the, the Power Rangers stuff, sort of... The, the initial Power Rangers stuff, whenever it first came on Nickelodeon or Sky One or whatever it was on back in the day, uh, you know, I was just... Fox Kids. At, Fox Kids. No, I think it was even before that. I, think think? Fox, I don't yeah. think Fox Kids was a thing even then. Maybe it was, but I can't remember. I but yeah, but anyway, I was I was just at the tail end of of, of, of being an edge to appreciate it, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I maybe caught the very, very start of it, and then I was at that point where I was like, ah, oh, this is stupid, you know? And then the next time I looked around, there was like 15 different Power Rangers series and, you know, um, and all of that. But I always thought that there was a, a like a, a mythos to it that, uh, that they were building that was really interesting. I mean, the story behind Power Rangers, the TV series, is hilarious. Uh, you know about yeah, you know how it's how it was mix and match from a Japanese TV show, uh, you know the, this and how they did it. There was a um, toys that made us was toys fantastic. that made us episode. Yeah, that's exactly it. But but I mean I think then some quite a lot of years later there was this fan made trailer that came out, uh, and it starred uh, featured Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. Oh yeah, the, the remake, yeah. and it was a very very dark take on what Power Rangers could have been, you know, and uh, and that. So uh, that sort of tweaked me as well, and I started sort of looking into it a wee bit. So, and then, uh, yeah, so this new this new comic's coming out. I'm really kind of looking forward to that. But uh, just a shout-out to, to one of our, uh, our buddies in the shop, Stephen Young, who was very kind uh, this week uh, whenever I was up in Korean to, to pick up my pull list for me at Coffee and Heroes and uh, bring it up home with him to Balamoni, which I was going to be passing through. Uh, so he, he brought it up and I was able to, to pick it up. But while I was picking up my my, my pull list, he always he also threw in the uh, the Shattered Grid Power Rangers trade paperbacks, which which I've been I'm looking to read. So uh, so yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm kind of that, that's going to be my re-entry point, shall we say. I read a free comic book day Power Rangers not so long ago, a few weeks back, and I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to Shattered Grid just to, to preface the uh, the new Power Rangers uh, comic book series. As for TV or movies, I guess I'm I'm open to it definitely. Yeah, I mean they they keep trying this shared universe stuff to varying degrees of success. You know, they tried to because obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe has established this golden goose almost that if you get it right. You'll, you'll have properties for the next 10, 15 years. But the problem is they've tried to do it with Transformers. Uh, they've tried to do it with, remember the the Dark Universe? They were going to do like the Mummy and oh, the, the Invisible yeah. Man, all that stuff. <laughs> that Universal f- Monsters, wasn't it? Yeah, that failed yeah. miserably as well. Um, there was also, oh God, there was one more, was it? They, they've been talking about trying to do like G.I. Joe and all sorts. The Dark Tower, that's the other one I was thinking of. Because they tried to do like a TV and movie, and it just it all and fell that was apart. Just, I mean, that was just that's still prime material. That was just badly done. That yeah. was just that movie. I mean, that that should have been awesome, but I mean, I guess there was a lot of studio interference there that that just went. I mean, even the cast was awesome for that. And that's just GI Joe. Tell us about the Dark Tower. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, no Power Rangers is, is shaping up. I think to to have a bit of a resurgence. I think that Shattered Grid was the entry point for a lot of people but there's now a lot of people with these two upcoming series one called mighty Morphin, one called power rangers that i think will bring on a maybe a new generation of readers so uh so yeah so there was that we 
again just jumping can or continuing with our nostalgia kick i suppose there was the news that there was going to be a reboot series for disney plus of willow uh willow of course was a 1988 movie I believe directed by ron howard if i remember correctly mm. Mm. yep and i've never seen it you've never seen willow no Ah, so uh, is it as good as Legend with Tom Cruise? It's 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 very much in a it's a similar vein. Um, Willow uh, was Warwick Davis, uh, Val Kilmer, his then wife Joanne Wally Kilmer, I believe they were still married at that time, Um, and a few others. And Willow is Willow is this he's like a farmer, uh, and he plays you know there's this 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 baby. Uh, and there's a, a tyrannical queen who vows to destroy her and take over the world and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, it's all sort of high fantasy, sort of, but it, it's not. It, it lies somewhere between the Dark Crystal and Conan the Barbarian. Um, oh, right. You know, <laughs> okay. there's there's elements. Right element, up my alley. And, uh, uh, yeah, somewhere along those those lines, but it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, very good. Uh, Warwick Davis plays Willow if good, uh, as I say, he's a. He's a dwarf and an aspiring sorcerer who's protecting uh, Laura Dannon from the evil queen. And then Val Kilmer is this, he plays Mad Mardigan, who's this uh, this boastful mercenary swordsman. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of warriors and different bits and pieces. It's great. It's, it's, it was, yeah. Our, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think um, Disney Plus is probably going to get... Uh, a wee subscription for a month for the Mandalorian. I think it's mm-hmm. out soon. So, yeah, I'll check it out. It sounds like a wee Saturday afternoon watch. Yeah, like definitely. A, it's, yeah, uh, Saturday yeah, matinee type style. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. I, I mean, sure. I believe. Well, hopefully, it's on there. I would assume. I mean, I believe it was George Lucas. He wrote the script for it as well. So yeah. this is where he was going yeah. through a bit of a period of you know developing uh, content for other directors to take care of but uh yeah it looks like it's going to be a reboot series through disney plus they're starting to generate more and more stuff on disney plus that interests me because obviously of the marvel stuff but i own all those movies on blu-ray and so forth so that doesn't bring me across but once those original series get going with falcon winter soldier and wandavision and and obviously yeah you'd mentioned the mandalorian season two i think I might end up subscribing to Disney Plus. Damn you, Disney! You finally worked your magic on me. <laughs> I'll probably be uh, subscribing to that this month. Bastards. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, I see there was a little bit of uh, Star Trek news as well, or a new series starting as well. Something for you there, Keith? Yeah, so Star Trek Discovery Season 3 kicked off on Netflix a couple of weeks back. There's two episodes out now. They're Friday releases. Um I uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed the first couple of seasons of of Discovery. Um, last season was particularly good uh, because of the sort of, I guess, the Spock and the Enterprise connection um, and that. And I was a wee bit worried that maybe maybe this season not having that would be a wee bit. But they've they've done something very different. They've uh, they've shot the crew of Discovery uh, into the far far future beyond beyond the timeline of any Federation show that that has so far existed. So I guess part of the problem is with, with Star Trek is, you know, you're always very much attached to one of the premier um, canon narratives in the world in existence and entertainment, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so in some ways, the best way to make an original story in the Star Trek universe is to separate yourself from that. So, 
you know, um, you have the original series in Star Trek Next Generation, which set that canon in Deep Space Nine. Star Trek Voyager realized they had to do something slightly different, so they they shot the, the Voyager, the ship Voyager, 75 years from Earth, so they had a journey to get back to Earth through undiscovered territory, so you could still use the, the basis of Star Trek, but but tell a, tell a new story. Um, Enterprise was set slightly in the past, and Discovery is set before that, or actually between that and, and the next gen and the original series. So they were very much locked into canon and history because they're so close to the original series, you know. So what they've done for season three, having told the story they needed to in one and two, is shoot the entire crew thousands of years into the future beyond anything that we know in Star Trek, and therefore they have disconnected themselves from canon while still remaining a, a Star Trek show, if you know what I mean. So it's 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 not a bad it's not a bad narrative tool, uh, I don't think at all. So uh, see, I'm really really glad to see the the return of Michael Burnham um, and uh, and uh, the Discovery crew. I've uh, I've watched the first couple of episodes, enjoyed them. It's just getting warmed up, I think. So yeah, good show. Yeah, there seems to be a few guys in the store starting to get into Star Trek recently. I mean, I am not one of them because I have <laughs> 922 things to watch. Uh, but it's always been a mythology that's that has intrigued me. But I suppose part of the thing is as well as not knowing where to start with it. I mean, would you say Discovery is a place for a novice to jump on, or is it a case of how far back do you go? You don't want to go too far back and put people off, maybe with when they had the limitations at the time of special effects and set building yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the I don't know. I don't know if Star Trek Discovery would. Star Trek Discovery might be a good place to start, but a lot of my enjoyment came with trying to figure out how it connected with the original Star Trek because this is a mo this is a, a series that's made, you know, sixty years later or whatever it is, you know, with the technology we have now, you know, and we know what Star Trek looked like, you know, in, 19, in the nineteen sixties. So it was, you know, so part of my enjoyment came with trying to figure out how that joined up, um, and they did they didn't do a bad job, I have to say, um, but if I was jumping onto Star Trek, I would definitely be starting with Star Trek: The Next Generation. 1987 classic um that that has that was as 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 gene roddenberry said at the time you know he'd with the original star trek he felt that he'd captured lightning in a bottle with star trek the next generation he did it twice um so and it's just i mean we you, you're familiar with the characters you know and the but it's i mean over the seven years that it ran star trek the next generation really ramped up and you know all of the all of the premises are there you know the of the Starfleet and the United Federation of Planets and infant diversity and infant combinations and, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, you could start there and from there you could go anywhere. You know, you could go back to the original or go to Deep Space Nine or Voyager or whatever. Yeah. So the eternal question to you is Picard or Kirk? Depends on the situation, <laughs> you know. I knew you'd have an out. <laughs> it's, you know, it's... Uh... You know, Picard is ever the diplomat. You know, Kirk is ever the blunt instrument. <laughs> you know, so if you have need of a blunt instrument, I guess Kirk's your man. But if you want to talk your way out of a situation, Picard's your man. <laughs> well, that's that's fair. That's fair. And that's and that's and that's doing Commander Captain Sisko a, a disservice as well because he was he was uh, quite the commanding officer too from Deep Space Nine. Showing my lack of knowledge here, <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> Clearly, this is the you know, the cultured choice, if you will. Um, yeah, and then just a few things just sort of finish off on stuff that's uh, picked up in the last couple of days. 
obviously at the moment movie making is proving a bit more troublesome than normal you know certain practices are put in place certain movie productions are getting shut down things are not being released but there seemed to be just a lot of uh, movement in the mcu in the last couple of days so you had shang chi rapping uh the the cast and director and so forth putting out some pictures on instagram showing that they had rap production you had spider-man 3 is starting that's a movie that really intrigues me with what mm. all the rumors around it and the possibility of returns for andrew garfield and toby Maguire and the sinister six you've maybe got set up there and and all sorts and then also came the news today although this might be more sort of tv i would imagine than movie although maybe I could be wrong on that. But uh, the news coming through that Oscar Isaac is apparently in final negotiations to play Mark Spector in Moon Knight. Mm, interesting. Now, that could be a great series. Uh, they've been, yeah. they've actually tapped Jeremy Slater, who uh, spearheaded Umbrella Academy, bringing it to Netflix. Uh, he's been tapped to develop and lead the writing team. So they're, they're getting established talent in there, and... Oscar Isaac is certainly no stranger to sort of pop culture and nerd culture, you know, obviously being a veteran now of the Star Wars movies, whether you like them is another thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously played uh, Apocalypse, again, to varying degrees of success in X-Men Apocalypse. And then, of course, he's part of uh, the biggest movie of next year, Keith, not the biggest movie of this year, uh, yeah. <laughs> June as well. Yeah, he's playing so uh, Leto Atreides in, uh, in June, I believe, isn't he? He, he is indeed. He's it's strange he's done all those things and I, I wouldn't really think of him as sort of like well like a I don't know in my head he's always like an in, indie kind of actor when he was in Ex Machina and Inside yeah. and Davis and all you so, know um, some of the some of the best actors great. around I think Roddy balance that well you know yeah oh, like that. a not a criticism of yeah, him yeah. at all he's but he's got this indie sort of I don't know credibility in my mind, so that's that's and, probably a good thing for a Moon Knight series. And let's not forget, it's not as good, it's not going to be his first tangling with the uh, with Marvel type movies. Yeah, uh, he played uh, he played uh, in Sabineur Apocalypse and X Men Apocalypse, Fox's version of the X Men universe. You know, um, it, it is okay, Roddy, to be an indie guy, but like some of the more mass market stuff, it's okay. <laughs> you can accept it. Never. <laughs> See, to be um, honest, one of his best roles, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, but there was uh, a made-for-Netflix movie called Triple Frontier with oh, yes, uh, Ben Affleck one. and Oscar Isaac, and it was fantastic, so it was. It was the mm. kind of movie that... It, it sort of lends credence to the argument that I wish movies would be released theatrically first because it was this big, epic scope movie. And as good as it looked on, you know, TV, you know, obviously got a good, good sized TV and all the rest, it would have looked class on a cinema screen. So it was a bit of a shame for that. But brilliant movie. If you haven't seen it, Triple Frontier will be on Netflix. Speaking of which, uh, and of Tom Holland, uh, Spider Man, uh, watched that uh, The Devil All the Time, the Netflix original. Uh, that we had we had seen trailered not so long ago. Um, that was very very good. That's a great that's a great show. I uh, really enjoyed that and also um, the Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, thoroughly yeah. enjoyed that. Oh, uh, what a show! And you wouldn't I don't know you wouldn't even appreciate all the wrestling references. Uh, well, I mean, I oh, was... whoa, 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 whoa! There's wrestling references in something. What, what yes. are we talking? What are we talking? Yeah, it's there's the Peanut Butter Falcon. It's a, it's a, it's the best wrestling movie I've seen in a long, long time. Well, 
you know, I just watched an Undertaker documentary before we started recording, and that was fantastic. Well, <laughs> um, you ever seen Beyond the Mat? Yeah. Oh, I've got it. I've got it lined up on my list actually. Beyond yeah, the yeah, Mat it's is a, a, it's a really good one. It's a mm. tough watch. It'll. It's uh, Beyond the Mat's the kind of movie that sort of sh- as much as you might take the mick out of wrestling if you don't watch it. It sort of shows like the personal sacrifices behind the scenes and how hard it is on the road and being away from your family and addiction and and all sorts. It's uh, it, it's a crack. Uh, there movie. was there was there was two co- two uh, two cameos in the uh, the peanut butter falcon. It took me a wee minute just to figure out. It took me and I was like, oh yes, that's and they'll be they'll be they'll be folks who you'll be familiar with, Alan, as a as a <laughs> fan of the old wrestling. But yeah, um, like it's a really uh, what do you, Thomas Hayden Church. Is yes, fantastic. Uh-huh. yeah, 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 it was. And yeah, it's a really, you know, it's a really good for all of the, well, for all of the, for all of the, the crap that Sheila Booth has had thrown at him over the past few years, he did a great job in that movie. Great job, I thought he was fantastic. So well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, we'll definitely jump onto it uh, once I finish your previous recommendation of Cobra Kai. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but just to seamlessly transition with to one final item. You mentioned Thomas Hayden Church. He was, of course, the Sandman. We're mm-hmm. on to Sandman. Watch Alan has finally finished the first volume of Sandman. Nice uh, one. I've only got six volumes left to go, and I am trying to read it all before the middle of November, so I'm not Wait. sure that's going to happen. That must mean Sandman Volume 1 is on its way to me, then. Sandman Volume 1 is yours whenever you want it, sir. Boom, lovely. No like you, can, you can throw it on your absolute pile along with Wild <laughs> Ass Man. And, and I just, I've just got a, an absolute Alan shelf. Yeah, which does which does sound like a like an episode name from Alan Parridge, but uh, <laughs> absolutely Alan. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was an episode. Now that I think about it, ah, uh, Partridge, those were days. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, I'll I'll bring Sam in with me tomorrow. That's no problem. Sweet. Um, it is unlike anything else I've ever read in the best possible way. But holy moly, it is so dark in places. Uh, but just really inventive, really mystical, whimsical. Brilliant. Uh, I can't recommend it enough, so uh, I'll, I'll definitely throw that into you. And speaking of things that we have read, shall we talk about some things that we have read? I think that would be a good plan. I think uh, as much as I'm sure people enjoy our endless rambling at the start, you all come here for comics reviews, so that's what we're going to give you. So we're going to be moving on, so we're going to split it into two. So we're going to, first of all, do, as I say, the releases that came out on the 14th of October, and then we'll take a little break, and then we'll be back with the, the 21st of October. The format, just in case you're not familiar with it, if this is your first time with us, first of all, welcome. Second of all, what we always do is we take a pick of the week each. It can be anything from DC, Marvel, or any indie publishers. Go into some deep dive spoilers on that. And then we also like to run through honorable mentions. We do, between the three of us, we do read a lot every week, so it's always good to sort of highlight some other titles as well. But before we jump into picks of the week, what we always do is break down our own pull lists. Now, for this week, the 14th that we're kicking off with, for me, it was 20 titles in total. I had 60 C, I had two Marvel, once again, a massive indie week. I had 11 indie titles, and then I had one trade as well that came home with me. Uh, what about yourself, Roddy? What were your numbers? My numbers were nine titles overall with Deep Breath. Three DC titles. Count them, people. One, two, three. <laughs> I know. Yeah, big, big days. One, yeah, one was a trade, and then 
per Marvel only had one, and then I had five indie as well. What was your one Marvel, Roddy? Uh, can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Was it Amazing Spider-Man? Yes. Yeah. He wins. <laughs> I don't know what you win, but he wins. How about yourself, Keith? What were your numbers? I'm sure you'll bring the Marvel love back up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my 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 total always tends to run like one or two behind yours. Um, I'm sitting on 18 titles. Uh, five of them DC, 11 of them Marvel, two of them indie, and I think I had two trades this week as well. Um, was the Resistance and uh, Hillbilly Volume Two, uh, which uh, both of which were fabulous. That's a that's a quiet indie week for you though. I mean, you you read a lot of indie yeah. stuff. That's that's a quiet one for you. Yeah, and uh, you know both both appear in my both appear in my honourables this this week because, regardless, you know indie is always quality. Well, that is true, and with that in mind, we're going to jump into the picks of the week, and of course, my my pick of the week is an indie pick of the week. My pick of the week, of course, is from Tom Taylor because nearly every week it's from Tom Taylor. Um, yeah, I just wanted to once again spotlight the absolute brilliance that is Seven Secrets. Uh, so Seven Secrets is the creator-owned title from Tom Taylor uh, on writing duties, Danielle DiNiculo on art. I think it's also important to point out the colorists, which are Walter Biamonte and Katia Rinaldi, and also lettered by Ed Dukeshire. And the reason we always point them out is because it's such a multinational team that work on this book. And the book itself just does have a multinational flavor. The art is always a standout, but I, I sound like a broken record all the time. But I don't think there's a better writer than Tom Taylor for efficiency of storytelling or also for changing of mood in a comic, you know, change of direction. Seven Secrets is a title that for me is by turns funny, horrifying, heartfelt exciting action-packed but also has those quiet moments as well and issue three for me is the best issue so far i mean you start off with a you start off with a real life location which i always think adds a bit of credence to an indie comic as well you know it's it's easy to create these worlds and you know have generic city you know number one whatever but it actually kicks off in buckingham palace in london i felt it added uh, not just a wee bit of realism but there was a and added a wee sniff of like Bond, maybe 007. Yeah. Just because you know that for me it's sort of you know that sort of. It's got that globe trotting feel. Yeah, yeah, to it, yeah. I think, and it kicks off with this really, really dark scene, but also this great scene that shows how confident and dark and malevolent a bad guy we're dealing with here. So, again, spoilers. Of course, I did mention ahead that we always deep dive into spoilers, but you know if if. If this is a book you're going to get into, go into it as clean as possible and skip forward about 10 minutes. Uh, there will be those time tags there as always. But, but yeah, so it kicks off outside of Buckingham Palace and you have this bad guy, Amon, who we've been introduced to in the previous two issues. And he is essentially the guy who's after the seven secrets of the title. Seven secrets are essentially seven briefcases that could that have the power to change the world, to end the world, you know, basically uh, give you your heart's desire is the impression I get. And it kicks off with them outside of Buckingham Palace. You see your traditional, you know, Buckingham Palace guards there and their red jackets, big poofy sort of hats. I'm sure you know the proper name for these, Keith. Maybe not. I don't. Nope. <laughs> you're, the, you're the kind of guy that always jumps in with knowledge like that. I <laughs> I admit I have no clue. But it's really cool because it's like all the all of his sort of minions are saying like, oh, there's security cameras everywhere. And he's like, I don't care. I want them to see me. I'm not hiding. And you see this great sort of security camera footage. But 
then this is where Tom Taylor is so great at just like breaking your heart. He introduced you to a character in the first book called Sigurd, who the way the first book was set up, you thought, oh, maybe he's going to be the main character. Nope, he was gone by the end of issue one. And Amon basically drops his head in a bag at the gates of Buckingham Palace and hangs up his body on the gates with a little um, sort of page on him, sort of attached to him with the seven symbols saying, we know. And then, you know, you get into, like, the palace stuff. But not only that, I should say, there is a wee quiet moment as well where Amon says, you were good to me once. So, there's a, again, there's going to be pre-existing relationships that jump into there. And that's what I mean by efficiency of storytelling. In the space of one moment, one line of dialogue, and even the way he sort of caresses the bag a little, sort of, you know, a little sort of, it almost sends shivers up your spine a little bit. But, you know... They've established in that one panel that there's a deep history with these two characters. Um, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, but in that in that caress of the bag, he has the bird. That is in indeed his, true. In his hands, yeah, yeah, which is significant to uh, the the uh, protagonist of the series, who is Casper, uh, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, I mean Casper's who we pretty much follow the rest of the issue, and who's who's going to be the star of this. I mean. Again, I, I liken the structural setup of this to something like Saga. You've got the kid in the future telling the story of his parents that he that were maybe taken from him too soon almost. But you've got all this great... I think Bond was a good sort of uh, comparison as well because, you know, the your highness has woken up, you know, with this sort of seven secret symbol we know. And then she goes to this painting, gets her eyes scanned, it opens up, then the telephone comes up with a seven on it. And it's, you know, it's sort of like, crap they know sort of thing but the rest of the issue predominantly deals with casper's attempts to almost take his father's place you know he's being trained up there's one spot on the team for uh to become one of the carriers and the bearers of the seven secrets and he gets to sort of train a little bit with his mother but then the rest of the issue is basically taken up with him against three other people and it's all about who can you know survive to the end so to speak but in between all of that you've got these wonderfully affecting moments you know you've got this part where casper's talking about like oh my dad never loved me he never even thought about me and then the mum shows him all these gifts that he wanted to give him you know all over his 15th birthdays and there's some great little easter eggs here as well yeah you know there it, are uh there's uh there's the one I, I i particularly enjoyed uh that i sent to you alan yeah uh yeah uh, just just under under a bunch of stuff well obviously there's george orwell's 1984 very very important a whole lot of little, uh, you know, carvings of birds and such, but uh, and uh, the clashes, London Calling, uh, the LP, but uh, under everything there, we can just see peeking out the first issue of Al Ewing's We Only Find Them When They're Dead, <laughs> which, as we know, was released about two months ago. <laughs> so, and, and even the one on top there, The Deep, that's a uh, yeah. children's cartoon that Tom Taylor writes. Uh, I believe it was a ah, book as well, but he right, writes okay. that. That's a cartoon. But yeah, you go through all these sort of standard sort of test moments and it's all about, you know, who'll, you know, take his place. And obviously you've got a sense of who's going to, you know, step up at this point. But the way it comes about is really inventively told. And then you kind of think like, right, we're going to settle into this gently. He's going to, you know, be given a chance to explore his new role and maybe, you know, be eased in gently, so to speak. And then boom, uh, there is just a massive attack. And a little nod to Donny Cates there, no less, as well, on the last page uh, that basically tells you the next issue is going to be absolute carnage. 
So <laughs> just a wonderful, wonderful book. I, I genuinely think this is in with a shout for best indie title of the year so far. I just absolutely adore it. It's fast-paced, as I say, beautifully drawn, really kinetic, but really, you know, gets you in the feels as well. Mm. And I just think it really does stand out from other books on the on the shelf at the moment. So, and it's and it's always good as well because I know this is one that all three of us are reading. So, uh, I I think we all hold it in maybe not as much hype, uh, you know, regard as I do, but certainly certainly very highly. It's no, I mean, I'm I'm absolutely there with you every step of the way, Alan. I mean, I think this is I think I totally agree with you. You're 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 right there. I mean, it is. It's worth mentioning that it's there's a wee bit more of a complexity there as well because uh, Sigurd and Eva are Casper's parents but have never been able to acknowledge that they are his parents because of the nature of the secret society to which they belong. Uh, that that they they weren't ever although they are paired as a as a what a, a keeper and a um, but a anyway keeper and a holder. Yes, that's right. So and they each each team each of those seven teams guards one of the the seven secrets which to me still it's still there's a wee there's a wee pulp fiction nod there isn't there oh definitely uh, you know each of those seven <laughs> you're just waiting on cases. someone opening up a briefcase and just seeing like a gold shiny light in their face and that's it yeah yeah and you know so sigurd and eva were never supposed to fall in love they were never supposed to have a child that's against the rules but tiana who's the head of the organization and the keeper of the first secret um you know she's she's obviously bent the rules quite a bit Forum and Casper has been raised within this this secret society, uh, so that's the tragedy that he was never able to know his father, despite the fact he never knew his father loved him. You know, but but just in that yeah, one moment, yeah, seeing all those yeah. gifts, you know, that's exactly that's an overwhelming moment for him as well, and that's what I mean. It, it, there's just always such a great turn, and like from page to page in this book, I find it just jumps all over the place in a natural way. It's not like mm -hmm. it's just set up for shock value or, you know, it's no, laser or anything. It's just meticulously planned almost. There's something else that uh, Tom has done in a fantastically natural way, and that's to make the, the Queen, of, Queen of England a person of colour. Yeah. Uh, which was And just also not to be 90 years old. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, that, that, that's just that moment where she opens the safe and goes to what's effectively the bat phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, so this goes, this goes deep. You know, you would assume that you would assume that all the heads of state of all of the of all of the the countries, you know, have have a phone somewhere in their office or somewhere in their bedroom. That because it's not in their office, it's in their bedroom. Yeah, that's how personal it is, you know. So it's it goes deep. But yeah, I love. I mean, I love those montage scenes of of training and the, just the different wee uh, training tricks, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. I think it's uh, it's really awesome. Um, I don't know if I'm. I can't, yeah, I suppose. I'll, he sort of won on a trick, nearly not his own trick, but just on the other guy's feeling. Yeah. Uh, the other guy yeah, who got carried away a little too quickly because he didn't drop the case, but the other one sort of sets his down mm -hmm. and starts celebrating before he's yeah, told he actually it. won, you know. And it's... Uh... <laughs> and then you learn later on that, you know, <laughs> he's, uh, you know, Casper uh, says, uh, I, you know, when do I get the real thing? And, and Eva's like, you have it. You were holding the actual secret the whole time, the whole way through your training. And he's like, what? And uh, and uh, Eva says, Tiana had a lot of faith in you. And he's like, I uh, I left it outside when I went to the bathroom. She says, I wouldn't repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's quite, as you say, it's quite lighthearted as well. Um, yeah, just, I really enjoyed it. I What do you think of Amon? What's his story? Well, that's it. I wonder if he... 
I mean, there, there's different ways you could look at it. He could be maybe a, a previous member, one of the, the holders, perhaps, or one of the, the keepers. Uh, he could be someone that's disgraced and has been kicked out. He could be maybe related to one of them as well. Maybe he was he cast out at the start, but then Casper was the child that got to grow up amongst it. There's, yeah. There's a lot. I don't know. To, I, there's a lot he's there. the same. He's the same age as, or similar age to Casper, I yeah. think. Uh, I wonder, is he... Is he uh, the child of another set of secret keepers yeah. and wasn't treated the same way? Just as you suggest that he was, I don't know. But then his closeness to his closeness to Sigurd, you know, was was he there? Was Sigurd training him? Did he do something and has been cast out of the society? You know, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just I don't know. But there's obviously some history there between him and and Sigurd. And and then, you know, there he says in issue three, he says you were good to me, but it didn't stop him killing Sigurd and cutting his head off. Yeah. And displaying you know, so. it for the world to see, uh-huh. essentially. So, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful tale. You're you're reading this as well, aren't you, Roddy? Yeah, um, kind of echo everything you guys have said. I I kind of get a real nice, kind of cool manga vibe off it from mm. uh, Daniel Dinicolo and the style of it, and even even the villain Amon kind of reminds me of like a little kind of manga thing in the page layouts too. Um, yeah, really, really digging it, and yeah, can't wait to see where it goes. I love, love all the characters, and I love, um, love the style of it. There's a real nice, real nice feeling to it. That Tom, it's just Tom Taylor all over, isn't it? It's this light in their characters, but then they're put through dark moments. So that's really cool. Yeah, just as I say, awesome book all around. We we do our best to keep in the first couple issues as we go in store and. There's actually been a few guys we've sort of recommended it to in the last week or two that have now jumped on board, but really, really can't recommend it enough. De- genuinely one of the series of the year. So for me, that's my pick of this week, which is Seven Secrets number three. So from one of the best indie series that started this year to one of the best indie series from last year, what is your pick of the week, Roddy? Yeah, we're two for two for Boom Studios anyway. This is issue 12 of once and future it's been going a full year now hmm. so written by kieran gillen illustrated by dan mora colored by tamra bonvillain and lettered by ed dukeshire who feels like the name should be a character in once in the future to be honest um yeah so this this is fantastic this is the the end of the arc anyway yeah it was just a fantastic end and i feel we've we sort of, you know, we'd let things slide for a little bit and then kind of we might not pick them just because we've talked about it at, at arm's length. So, yeah, this one, you know, there's a lot of crossover. In the, at the start, it was the King Arthur saga. And obviously, Kieran Gillen being a sort of master of storytelling, he's brought Beowulf into the situation here and the Grendel. Um, we sort of joined this issue with the Grendel rampaging around the residence of... Uh, Lovely grandma Bridget. Um, sorry to uh, sorry to butt in on you, Roddy. Uh, is yeah. that is that now the Grendel's mother? Oh yes, yes. Sorry, yeah. Uh, At the end, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, horrible, horrible, horrible character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bridget sort of left there, and it sort of turns. What I really liked about this one. Um, so it's yeah, Grendel's mother rampaging through the the kind of res- old folks' residence, 
Um, and then there's a great scene. It's obviously this book's all about the dynamic between Bridget and her grandson Duncan. And so it starts off, Bridget kind of sends Duncan back to the car to get weapons. So we've obviously, this for me was like the like the explosion at the end of a film. Just like it was a great, everything had built up to this point And this was the, everything is going crazy sort of action scenes. Um, it's beautifully done and beautifully told, beautifully rendered by Dan Mora. Um, Tamar Bonville's colors are absolutely exceptional. Um, the palette and the neons and the oh, just all the hues and different shades she uses, um, just unreal. Really great storytelling there. But um, yeah, Duncan sort of grabs some weapons, but then he hears a familiar voice, which is Elaine who we'll recognize from the first arc. Um, she was, she's the one that sort of set them on this path and tried, tried to resurrect King Arthur, wasn't it? She's Duncan's mother, right? I think she's, I think she's yeah. Duncan's mommy. Okay, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just it kind of goes from there. And then it's like a great, just a great mad sort of dash. And then there's like all these monsters and, Duncan is sort of turned into the hero and in the end he's sort of a reluctant hero but he becomes the you know the stoic hero hero that he's maybe destined to be and uh, so he sort of ends up killing Grendel's mother and then he, he dives into the lake uh, with Excalibur in his hand and then it's like at the end there's sort of like these couple of the stories are in it together um, so Beowulf and Arthur and I kind of can join so yeah and it leaves a lot open a lot open in the, at the end of it issue, the issue for more to come so yeah I, I love it it's really really cool so but it's taking a break now isn't it yeah I think it's that traditional model of you know six issue arcs then take a break of a few months get the trade out let people get caught up and then uh, get back to the next issue it wouldn't surprise me if issue 13 was solicited in the new previews book this week because that gives them sort of a couple of months. But uh, a little side note, I should say, actually, that you know when I was talking earlier about Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai has the best grandmother character outside of Bridget <laughs> in Once in Future. Yeah, <laughs> she does. Yeah, yeah, she does. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely right. I mean, I, I, can, I can totally see why this... I mean, I, I love this as well, Roddy, and I can totally see why it, why it, uh, it lights you up as well as the, you know, as the the story creator that you are, you know, um, because this, again, Kieran Gillen, as you say, is the master storyteller, teller, but he's also a master of, of like nearly meta storytelling, telling mm -hmm. stories about stories. And that's, that's really evident in this issue. Um, I mean, first of all, yeah, the grandmother, what do you call it? What, what do you call the grandmother? What's her first name? Bridget. 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 Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, at one point, you know, one of her fellow, uh, her fellow, uh, her, her, her fellow clients in the home you know is, is killed by uh by grendel's mother and he's like i don't want to die 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 and uh you know he dies and uh you know duncan says i'm sorry and bridget's like we can all have a good cry later get more weapons from the car duncan everybody else hide i'll keep hoity-toity her nibs busy <laughs> just she's uh the way she the way she goes on is unbelievable but what's interesting is is later on there's there's nearly like a 
So the story sort of they're stuck between the Arthurian legend story and the story of Grendel uh, here, and and that's you know at one stage, you know whenever he meets Elaine, as Elaine as was you know in the in the Arthurian story, who as I say I think is Duncan's mother, she effectively gives him two roles because they've already killed Beowulf, who is the character the hero who in 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 legend kills Grendel. So she's like, to Duncan, Beowulf isn't here, but you can understudy him, take on the role. So Duncan knows that he's already playing the role of Percival within the Arthurian legend, and now she's asking him to also play the role of Beowulf, which is kind of, you know, interesting. And then on the next page, you know, uh, Bridget comes around the corner and she's pointing a gun at her daughter. Uh, as I say, I think it's her daughter. Uh, and she calls her Mary and she says, I'm not Mary. And she says, please, none of this, I am she who was Elaine. She says, I know taking on Arthurian roles was my idea, but this isn't the time. So there's a wee, there's a thread there that is just waiting to be unraveled. Why did Bridget suggest that they needed to take on Arthurian roles in order to continue to fight this battle, you know? And Mary slash Elaine says, I, no, I mean, I'm not Elaine, I'm Nimue. And, uh, you know, in the story, Nimue was the, 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 the lady at the lake and the nymph who bedded Merlin, I think. In one way or other, mm-hmm. um, you know. So it's you know, and she, you know, it's almost like Bridget realizes that she has manipulated or or, or or suggested this in the first place, and and that her daughter's so deep into it that she can't get her daughter back. She's lost her daughter. She says, "I'm sorry, you ended up like this." So it's it's all of that, you know. It's so good, um, you know. And and at one stage, Mary slash Nimue slash Elaine says, once there was a war of stories and the kings who lived there, tales for the Saxons, tales for the British, tales for both. Uh, you know, uh, one of the Merlins caught the feral story of Beowulf. So there's all this talk about feral stories and caught stories and, you know, stories that once they're written down, you know, on paper, they become stuck or they become, you know, I, I don't know, there's there's so much more going on here, Roddy, do you not think? Yeah, I was. this is a sort of side topic but i was reading about like ghost stories and how many cultures share similar Mm. ghost stories right so it's like a it's almost like a collective consciousness around the world about of you these fears of somehow spread like how it is like it's not related to once in future really but i was like it's a cool concept like how does a country like you know, uh, there's all these things. Uh, the Highlands, there's um, Highlands in Scotland. It's the, um, it's like the Man of Fog or something. Mm-hmm, but also mm-hmm. in America, the App- Appalachians also have this this kind of similar tale. Mm-hmm. So I find it really interesting, it, like to bring it back to Once and Future, what they do, trying to mash these these stories together in a collective way. Like I really, I really dig it. And I think it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's the, there's something in here that is key to this entire story, the, this entire tale, this entire comic, um, about, there's something in this issue about like how... Stories being set free. Story, yeah, yeah, and feral stories and that. And I think they're starting something at the very, very end, you know, where we see the, we see the prime minister being consulted uh, <laughs> about, about what has happened, you know, with the old people's home with the hot fuzz police. You know, and uh, there's there's something he says that there's, you know, there's statutes that are older than the government, and you know, there's an unwritten part of their constitution that shouldn't be bypassed, and 
they cannot they're going to do something you know uh, and clearly that something is being manipulated by Merlin you know the prime minister outside you know he says let's open this box and have a good poke around day and Merlin says not bores but close enough you know so obviously the prime minister we're looking at is I hate to use his, his name uh, Alex Boris Johnson uh, you know so he says not bores but close enough and of course he's he's, he's making a play on on Boris Johnson's name, who is the Prime Minister in the book, I guess, and also Bors, as in the, the two knights of Arthurian legend, Bors the Younger and Bors the Elder, um, who are, uh, Bors the Younger becomes one of the best knights of the round table, and he participates in the Holy Grail thing, you know, so it's, uh, there's something there as well, so they're going back to the Arthurian legend, and the, the British which, government is involved. Which which one is, which one's the Holy Grail, the Younger? Bors, the, Bors yes. the Younger, yeah, um, Bors the Elder was he was involved uh, with Arthur early in Arthur's reign. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and, my knowledge is not great for that. <laughs> yeah, and Bors the Younger was one of the knights of the Round Table. So interesting stuff. What do you reckon, Owen? Yeah, I mean, I I feel bad for not deep diving into it as much as you two just did. I mean, I just see Once in Future every time as just this kick-ass comic, just full of action, great imagination. I think the artwork is always the standout for me. As good as the story is, I think the art just sings every single issue. I think Dan Moore should draw most of the comics out there, to be honest. <laughs> and Tamara Bond villain should always be his colors. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just take Once in Future as a wild ride every time. I do. Th- I still stand by my word, though, that it peaked with issue 10 with uh, the Hot Fuzz mm-hmm. Cops because it was just... It was a it was a real set the comic down and just start clapping sort of moment. Uh, how well it was utilized. I, I have to say, for me, I think this exceeded that. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Even yeah. with the Boris Johnson cameo. Yeah, even you know, despite <laughs> that, you know, uh, hopefully he's going to come to a sticky end <laughs> because up. you know, uh, but but yeah, just because I because this is the this is the the story of, of this comic this is this, it's about stories yeah and about how gillen is using those stories and as i say he's been doing it he's been doing it for so long he you know he does it in and and whenever he wrote loki uh that was he made he made loki and took loki as the you know the god of lies and made him into the god of stories and how loki manipulated the stories in order to change reality mm-hmm. uh, and that's what's happening here is stories are being manipulated in order to change reality and uh yeah so it's it's, it's good stuff. It's in, interesting comparing it to like Die. Die's very intense, but like as Alan was saying, this this is this is a good mix. Whereas Die's very heavy on the meta and the mythology, mm, yeah. and the, it also has a gameplay element. Whereas this yeah. is like an action blockbuster that yeah. also has all these kind of yeah, and that's, excellent storytelling yeah. mechanics. It's He's he's doing the same thing in Die, only rather than playing with the rules of stories, he's playing with the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, he's he's still, as you say, he's playing in the meta, he's playing in the and how that affects then the story uh, within the story. It's it's hard to it's kind of hard to talk about. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> difficult to to find the language. Uh, it's it's really fantastic stuff. He's yeah. a really fantastic writer. Yeah, and it's one of those ones that just works really, really well in trade form as well. So it's uh, the trade, I believe, is out, I think, December for Volume 2. So a uh, good time to get caught up in it before continuing on. So 
Uh, yeah, excellent pick there, Roddy. That was Once in Future number 12. So we are then going to move on and make it an indie clean sweep, are we, Keith? We are not. We oh, are not. So close. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my pick of the week this week is a Marvel. Um, surprising. Had it well, obviously surprising you, Ellen. It actually uh, is a surprise. You've been going on with a lot of indie stuff recently, and DC. Yeah. You know, your your Marvelness has taken a back seat. Well, you know that's because I, I try and be uh, impartial, shall <laughs> we say? Um, and I don't know. Is this the first time? Is this the well? Back in the day, back uh, back at the start of the year, Vicky chose Star Wars number one as her pick of the week. Uh, these are the the Star Wars books that that came out at that time. You know, Star Wars and Star Wars Darth Vader. And I think this is the first time that Star Wars Darth Vader will have appeared as one of our picks. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is Star Wars Darth Vader number six. It's the first of uh, the second story arc. Uh, the, the first story arc ran issues one to five. Uh, and this is the first of the second story arc starting in issue six. And it's the first part of, of a story arc called Into the Fire. Uh, and it's subtitled The Punishment. So the Darth Vader book has been taking place like the Star Wars book. Uh, following uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, so it's uh, the first arc was all about uh, looking, you know, looking forward from Empire where, where Vader was left at the end of Empire where he'd confronted Luke, uh, you know, and told him he was his father and so forth and so on. And Vader then, uh, the two stories then, because the Star Wars story is following Luke and the, the, the Rebellion, following the empire so vader following that embarked uh, on a quest to discover the truth about what happened to his beloved padme after the last time he saw her alive so we're pulling in the original the original or the prequel uh, series so uh, during that story the darth vader went looking he ended up in uh, on, on uh, uh, what do you call that planet that um naboo uh, and all of that sort of stuff and uh you know, so it's kind of, I think it's telling the story about how we see Darth Vader going from where he was at the end of The Empire Strikes Back to something more, I guess, introspective and maybe sympathetic at the start of Return of the Jedi whenever he turns against uh, the Emperor. But the end of the fire starts us down that path. So Vader has returned to Coruscant after his battle against, you know, the Amidalans, who are the uh, loyalists, Naboo loyalists, and um, Palpatine has obviously the Emperor has obviously got wind of of uh, Vader's personal uh, adventure, as uh, you know, and obviously knowing who uh, Anakin was before he became Vader, and and you know the, all the work that he'd done to turn Anakin into Vader, uh, he uh, his response whenever Vader returns is to give him, give him a, a bolt, a bolt, a, an old bout of the old force lightning. And, uh, you know, Vader can't figure out what he's done wrong. And effectively here you get, a, a mostly a, a comic book of Vader being not Palpatine's favorite person and being tortured for most of the comic, just to remind him, I guess, who is the master and who is the apprentice here. Um, so, there's oh, there's just some great stuff. I just love the way it's joining up the prequels and the the classic, you know, the classic trilogy. And it just, you know, Vader. Obviously, we know him to be one of the villains of 
modern pop culture. Um, but and Vader sort of to some extent gives as good as he gets. You know, there's some force choking, and but he's absolutely no match for the Emperor. And uh, by the end of it, uh, he has all three of his mechanical limbs torn off, and he is left. Uh, you know, he's left back in the. Uh, on Mustafar, which is the lava planet that he's left on at the end of um, the last of the the last of the prequel trilogy, um, and uh, he's sort of he's sort of left back where he was whenever he was Anakin becoming Darth Vader after the battle with uh, after the battle with Obi Wan. You know, Obi Wan obviously had cleaved off a bunch of his limbs and had left him, you know, with, as a torso with one arm. He had and, the high uh, ground. He had the high ground quite. So he's left back there and. Uh, He's effectively, he's effectively instructed by Palpatine that he must use his own strength, that's his own abilities, not his force abilities, to rescue himself. Um, you know, so he's he's lying there with his armor shattered, you know, three limbs down. Uh, you know, and it's obviously he's having a lot of flashbacks to the battle with Obi Wan and the last time he saw Padme and just this is just this is going. I'm really interested to see. It's going to be a really interest and test for vader um you know uh, he uh, he's you you can't help but feel for him in this episode in this issue you can't help but feel for vader um you know despite the fact he's still very much the villain at this point um you know he's, he hasn't been redeemed yet uh so and it's just uh, greg pack and uh, rafael enko um are are just doing a fantastic job on this on this book. I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, and my my interest is really peaked uh, for this for this particular arc. It wouldn't be a bad jumping on point, even six issues in. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's he's broken. He's completely overmatched by his his master's power and and evil. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm just I'm interested and really and in, really interested in seeing Darth Vader in what's going to be an absolute like outmatched uphill struggle um, to get to where he's going to be. Which you know this is you, you look at this within the context of where he is in Return of the Jedi, throwing the Emperor into the into the core of the Death Star, and it makes a hell of a lot more sense, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, and you know oh, Palpatine remains just a horrible character like you love to hate him um a, a fantastic looking book it looks gorgeous it uh you know the 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 flashback scenes just have this uh the sheen of red over all of them you know as we see obi-wan walking away and and all of that but it's it's just it's it's very very enjoyable this, greg pack's doing a great job in this very very good job and uh, on the star wars books for marvel in general uh, I've I've rarely been as interested in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, by the sound of it, the comics sound a bit more interesting than the more recent movies. Oh that... yeah, absolutely. This one issue is better than all three of them put together. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a compliment for the issues or a burn on the movies, <laughs> or maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I have all the Star Wars ones at home. So obviously, Vicky reads them more than myself. I'm not the biggest Star Wars guy, as people know, but you know the. The feedback on these issues does tend to be very, very positive. So maybe I just need to, you know, swallow my Star Wars hating pride and uh, give them a read. I think, you know, I think you'd be doing yourself a favor. Um, I think you don't necessarily have to be a Star Wars guy. You're already a comic guy. 
Um, you know, it's not a big leap to become a Star Wars comic guy. That's probably <laughs> fair. That's probably um, fair. Yeah, but there's nothing about this. I mean, from from cover to you know writing and storyline and art and colors, um, it's just uh, it's just great. Everything is everything's she's up there, sort of eight or nine out of ten and the whole lot uh, for sure. Um, yeah, well worth even if you were just picking it up from this issue, you wouldn't be doing yourself a, a, a you know hundred percent. Fair enough, fair enough. So Keith's pick of the week then. So reverting to a Marvel title with Star Wars Darth Vader number six. So yeah, those are all the sort of picks of the week. But again, we like to go through uh, with a few honourable mentions, maybe not go into quite as much detail or, or throw out quite as many spoilers. But there were certainly some very, very good titles this week anyway. Uh, we usually kick off with the DC stuff. So I think there are a couple worth chatting about. Death Metal 4 hit this week. Uh, and Death Metal 4... In a weird way, it was probably the calmest issue of, of all of Metal so far, I would say. It was almost like Metal was sort of pausing to take a breath. Uh, I mean, the, the basic story elements are Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman have been thrown into sort of versions of the crisis past where they actually failed. Uh, the Flashes are still in a race against the Darkest Night, but running out of speed. And then you've got Harley Quinn, Swamp Thing, and uh, MVP of the whole series, Jaro who are cornered by the Robin King as well. So it, it's an issue that sort of explores a lot of DC's past. It, it can be quite nostalgic in places. I wouldn't say it massively forwards the plot an awful lot. I mean, it, there are a few bits and pieces that took place in the one-shots outside of this. I know Multiverse's End, for example, was one that uh, dealt with the Green Lantern Corps quite a bit, but I believe their story is going to be continued in Rise of the New God, which is actually out this week. Um... But I wouldn't say an awful lot happened in this issue. It felt very much like the midpoint to me. I thought the art was absolutely gorgeous the whole way through it. I really liked the stinger at the end with uh, the Darkest Night sort of saying, you know, welcome you to the last 52 instead of the new 52. <laughs> uh, so there's there was some really good stuff in here. I really liked Sergeant Rock through here as basically a, a, headless, um, a headless corpse the whole way through it, sort of. It, it's the epitome of that old way I get my hands on you type of character when you know fine rightly there's literally nothing they can do. Um, the, uh, it's interesting, Alan, I don't know if you heard, but uh, I uh, I think it was a podcast that I was listening to uh -huh. uh, where Scott Snyder had said that uh, Sergeant Rock, that uh, the way he's written Sergeant Rock, that Sergeant Rock is talking to uh, local comic shop owners. Oh, really? That's what, you know, if you go back and read, you as a, as an LCS owner, if you go back and read over what what Sergeant Rock is saying, he's he's kind of talking to talking to those in the front line who Scott Snyder sees as the <laughs> LCS owners. Uh, so uh, go back and go back and read your metal uh, with that in mind. Just just the Sergeant Rock bits, but whenever you even read this one, you kind of go, yeah, I can see what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much so. Um, I felt like this was a. It was definitely, a, as you say, it's a midpoint. It's a wool gathering issue. Yeah. It's gathering up all the story threads and getting ready to punch on through. I think. Um, a couple of interesting points. The the final crisis one. Uh, Superman makes a point of saying that that this dark side is the actual real dark side, not a. Mm -hmm. You know, which is is kind of interesting because clearly he's way older, uh, and. Uh, and that so he's obviously been pulled into this universe by the you know early on by the batman who laughs mm -hmm. um before he became the last knight and that so that was kind of interesting um 
Infinite Crisis. I mean, obviously, Crisis and Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis of Red, and I'm familiar with Superboy Prime and and Alexander Luther. So we see where Alexander Luther ended up here. Um, and the one thing, I mean, I've, ugh, I could take or leave the Robin King. I have to say, I'm really interested in the speed metal side of things. You know, mm-hmm. the the flashes. So this this cuts back into, you know, following speed metal. Um, it's interesting though. Do you not think with it sort of cutting back into speed metal, they haven't really progressed any from the end of speed metal if that makes sense yeah yeah i agree and and it was kind of the thing that i i really need i really need wally to win this one Mm -hmm. i really need wally to be the hero and whether it's whether it's him sacrificing himself or whether it's whether it's him just you know winning uh i really you know and unfortunately at the end of this it does not it did not give me the give me the impression that that's going to happen um you know as he's now you know he, as he, they've been tricked by by the fight the darkest night uh and the mobius chair and uh and wally's dr manhattan powers have been reabsorbed and he's now back to being red wally rather than blue wally yeah i mean i'm not sure how my, how people would take to it if wally's finally reintroduced and is basically the whole symbol of rebirth and so forth and then they uh, have him sacrifice himself just as he's getting going again but then again you can't just hit those familiar story beats with barry allen sort of uh obviously with what he did back in crisis and infinite earth with the sacrifice and so forth so be curious to see where it goes from here there are still a couple more uh one shots to come out as well just to sort of add texture to the universe and then there's three issues of the main series uh i will get on to a little bit later you were saying you're not a huge fan of the robin king that's because you haven't read the Robin King one shot, but I'll talk about that later. Okay, all right. <laughs> Which was pretty damn good. So, yeah, I mean, uh, very solid though. But as I say, it was it was an issue that's very much the midpoint. It's very much getting you sort of caught up in everything that's happened so far, but also setting a few uh, a few storylines in place for where it's going to go from here. Uh, a new title that hit this week that certainly I know I was very excited for. I know that Roddy could not wait for this to come out. He was chomping at the bit. <laughs> He absolutely did not have to be convinced to take this as a free comic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We have Rorschach number one. So this is the new series from Tom Keane and Jorge Fornes. Um, It's interesting. I mean, Keith mentioned just before we we came on air and started recording, we were talking about our picks and so forth. And he was saying it was interesting that no one had picked this as their pick of the week. I think if any, I think you guys probably had it in your mind that I'm that much of a cult of keen fanboy that I was going to pick this as pick of the week, no matter if it was good or not. I'm not that easily bought. I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool, but it was very much a setup issue. You know, it was introducing you to the world they're trying to, um, they're trying to show you in this. It's setting up the central murder mystery of it. It felt to me that just as you got that hook of just as the issue was getting going, it sort of ended. And for me, the main sort of standout I can remember certainly was was the art. So uh, I enjoyed it, but I I wouldn't say it was, you know, pick of the week material. But what about you guys? Yeah. um, Yeah. Like I dug it. It was, yeah, it was probably one of the best Tom King things like I've I've read. Is that a backhanded compliment? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like his own spin on is what the watchman universe it was interesting um i did have one like really annoying kind of dealing with it i remember turning like the first page and it's a snickers ad after this awesome like double page spread it's like you turn the page and you're like oh it's snickers ad great 
because um, I was like, didn't realize I thought Black Label was going to be a bit different. Uh, but, oh well, yeah, um, I really dug it anyway, so, yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah, true man. to a degree. I mean, I think most of the Black Label titles have been ad-free, so I could understand that frustration to a point. But I'm very much of, I just don't care about adverts anymore. It doesn't bother me. I just, I turn the page, you know. But mm-hmm. there, there are a few guys in the store, and if you're listening, you know who you are. They get really hung up on it. And I, I just accept it. That's the way comics are. But uh, one thing I thought was interesting, I, I did read an interview with, with Tom Keane, and he was talking about Rorschach is basically, to quote him, about the insanity, frustration, and anger of being alive in 2020. If nothing else, that might explain why someone's trying to kill a presidential candidate. So I thought that was quite interesting. I think this is a. I think there's going to be a slow burner. I think. I think it should be. Um, I to- first of all, I totally agree with you on the adverts, Alan. I don't. I don't even see them anymore. Um, but then I can watch an advert on TV or or and not know what it's about, um, even after it. But yeah, no, I uh, I I really enjoyed it. I thought the art was fantastic. Uh, Jorge Fornes is great, and he's doing a great job of making it feel appropriate to being linked to Watchmen, you know, and 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 linked to the time as well. You know, I love the way he's drawing the he's drawing the characters, you know, appropriate in their clothing and their hairstyles, appropriate to the to the time frame. Uh, interested, yeah, really, just really interested in seeing where the story's going. So as we nod to Frank Miller in here as well, did you notice? Yeah, there was so, there was a character. Was it was called Frank Miller? Yeah, it's a it's a a, a tape left on a a message left on a tape machine. This is Frank Miller. I'd like to contact my mother, my grandmother Brigham. <laughs> um, so there's there's but yeah, so yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I'm really interested to see where it's going. It it certainly has that Mancurian candidate sort of feel. Um. Yeah, and it even had like little sort of throwaway references to the TV show, you know, where they're talking about how the Rorschach masks are probably still popular even after Oklahoma. Yeah, which yeah. was you know obviously the the Watchmen TV show and so forth. So, but yeah, I love I'll, I, the art for me is the undoubted standout. I mean, the there there is a lot of use of sort of nine panel pages, but also like twelve panel pages, but then splash pages, but then. But yeah, it almost looks like a comedy, a, a comedy, a comic ripped out of the seventies. You know, as you said, yeah, that exactly that, candidate yeah. style and so forth. So, but uh, yeah, I really dug it. But I think yeah, it's going to be a slow burner. It wasn't, it wasn't an issue one that absolutely wowed me, and I I was blown away by. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. If yeah, that's fair. thoroughly enjoyed it. Um. Yep. So yeah, that's Rorschach number one. Uh, I believe you've something up for us, Roddy. Of course, it's DC, and of course, it's an yeah. anthology. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was as good as the Swamp Thing one, but The Doomed and the Damned was certainly very interesting. There was a couple of great standouts, particularly like the drinking game between Bator and Darkseid um, with Jack Kirby's Old God Brew, I believe, in the style of the Jack Daniels <laughs> bottle. Really interesting. Uh, Riley Rossimo had a great... Um, yeah, I should say it was two two Northern Irish boys, PJ Holden and Garth Ennis on that one. Riley Rossimo had a beautiful looking Green Lantern story. Um, yeah, and then uh, I really dug the man that one by John Arcudi and Mike Perkins. Yeah, um, if you're up for just a bit of fun, like just a great read for Halloween, I thought it was it was pretty cool. You know, wouldn't 
nothing major to write home about, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Cool. Then the damn from Roddy there, and then a couple more. You wanted to throw a bit of love out for Keith on the DC side of things? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Superman uh, by Bendis uh, Reyes. Um, part two of uh, an arc called Mythological, uh, in which this a character who an alien who you know these aliens have been watching on and have seen superman and have effectively it, it's like a escalation of weapons you know they they see superman and they have to create their own uh just in case you know and then things have gone a wee bit pear-shaped and this alien has uh, arrived on earth in order to attack clark who is just after revealing his secret about him being uh clark kent and superman together so uh it's a real great uh real great um Real great episode, real good issue, rather. Uh, Lois features heavily. The the secret that Clark has, we're getting into why Clark felt he'd revealed the secret. He had a he had a, a bit of an appointment with um, uh, what do you call him, uh, Doctor Fate, uh, last issue, and they, they they talked about why you know maybe Clark had revealed the secret, and so there's a wee bit of uh, a wee bit of uh, of Lois and Clark stuff in here, and. Uh, you know, Clark's aware. There's we. There's Clark's aware that there's there's something coming towards Earth to, that could potentially be a danger. You know, and there's a there's some great Clark and Jimmy moments, um, and then there's some great Clark and the Daily Planet moments. Steve Lombard's back there, and uh, you know, Steve is clearly having trouble accepting as one of the many people who's having trouble accepting that Clark is Superman. You know, and uh, he's like, "Geez, Clark, why, why are you dressed that way?" And he's like, "Because I'm in the office." He goes, okay, so so this is just going to be weird all the time. And he's like, Steve, I'm sorry you're frustrated with me, but I understand I made an impossible situation for you. Uh, and for that, I'm really sorry, sincerely. Uh, I value our long friendship, and I'll find a way to make it up to you. And he's Steve Lombard's like, are we friends? <laughs> you know, so it's uh, it's very, very good. And then Steve's like, ah, he goes, I, and I understand why I used to find all those, uh, all those ties in the closet, you know, obviously where Clark had pulled them off whenever he changed into Superman, so... Uh, yeah, there's that, and then it's uh, you know the last part is a bit of a knockdown, drag out fight. That it doesn't necessarily look like uh, like Superman's going to come out on top of. Um, he ends up uh, in order to save the Daily Planet. He ends up transporting this alien and himself into the Phantom Zone in order that they can they can fight. But it's not it's not looking good for uh, for the Clarkster. Uh, Bendis is doing fantastic work on superman he's not going to be on it for much longer though is he no he announced that he's uh he's coming to the end of his run but he hasn't given an official date i do wonder if it'll be a case of he'll finish up in december um when obviously future states then go to hit in january and february that's just a guess there's there's nothing that's been announced to say that but i've just got the sneaky feeling that he might finish up at the end of this year and then uh a new creative team can then launch in march mm. but again just, well just a guess I'd prefer if he didn't, because <laughs> he's doing good work. He's doing great work on Superman, I have to say. Um, and uh, Ivan Reyes on art is is absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, I know there's a, a a few Superman fans in store who wish Ivan Reyes would be on all the Superman titles, on instead of industry legend uh, John Romita Jr. on Action Comics. But uh, I got love for Romita Jr. given my recent amazing Spider-Man reading. So, ah, uh, brilliant, brilliant artist. <laughs> Um, one last DC you read the Strange Adventures? Yeah, I'm I'm fully up to date on it. We just uh, we just passed issue six, didn't we? So again, at mm -hmm. the midpoint. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed this. I'm a, I'm I continue to enjoy it. Uh, I didn't it took me a while to get into it, but now I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the uh, 
just the the relationship between uh, Alana Strange, Adam's wife, and way more than we initially thought she was, and Mr. Terrific, who is investigating uh, Adam Strange's potential uh, crimes, potential war crimes. Yeah, that relationship um, was getting a little too close for comfort in a few of the panels. Definitely a few things that uh, they were maybe suggesting but didn't overtly do. There was a couple of panels they were getting very, very close in when they were talking, so I don't know if... I would, I would argue that... I would argue and this might be a controversial opinion, but I would argue that it's Alana that was getting close. Uh, I think that she's trying to manipulate Terrific, uh, and I think she's used to being a manipulator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's. I think there's there's a lot more going on here with. She she's nearly she nearly comes across like Adam's press officer rather than his wife. Sometimes. Yeah, it's an interesting point. She is always um, looking out for his public image, maybe more than his personal happiness. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's yeah, but really enjoying it, really enjoying uh, what's what's going on here uh, and the the story that that Tom King's telling. Yep. Yeah, just exactly at the midpoint then of twelve issue maxi series, so Strange Adventures number six. So we'll move on to a bit of Marvel love then. So uh, I know you boys are very much enjoying Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, th- I believe this was your one Marvel title, Roddy. Yeah, um, we're we're deep in well, just starting Last Remains Part One um, with the Sin Eater. Um, yeah, this was a this was stunning. I actually thought it was better than uh, forty or yeah, forty nine. Um, really, yeah, really dignant. I'm looking forward to seeing the old uh, these LR or. 50 point LR or whatever mm-hmm, they're called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially yeah, with Rosenberg they, involved with those. Uh, Matthew Rosenberg's writing the, the .LR titles um, in tandem with Nick Spencer. I, I I have to say it. I was right. I was right. I was you, right. You've been waiting this whole <laughs> podcast to say that. I I feel like uh, I just I felt like a, like a victory for uh, my uh, years of Spider-Man reading to kind of go, yep, that was that was we know who the kindred is. Uh, I uh, I announced it. I announced it. My my suspicions on the podcast some months ago, and they have they have proven to be true. And uh, I'm very glad. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, Last Remains feels like a continuation straight on from Sins Rising. There's no break in the action. There's no. I don't know why they've bothered splitting it down the middle. You know, other than the fact <laughs> that uh, I guess the Sin Eater won't be as big a part of this. This is is this going to be Kindred's End Game? Do you yeah, think? So. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it, um, uh, and I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying Norman Osborn as well, uh, sort of, and uh, he's getting his just desserts. Very complex character. Um, yeah, very, very good, very good issue. Um, do you think it's a good jumping on point, Ronnie? Mm. No. I would, yeah, I would have. I would agree with you. It's like fifty issues. You need to read pretty much. Mm, so I would say not. You would need a good. Uh, you would need somebody. You would need yourself to sit, sit you down and talk you through it. There you go. You, that's uh, that's your on. new job, Keith. Lined up there, Spider-Man <laughs> advisor. Well, no. To be fair, you know, Marvel and especially in these Spider-Man books, do a really good job of uh, of having a you know last issue recap. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do a good job of, of recapping Sins Rising uh, at the start of this issue. But yeah, I would say not necessarily the, 
maybe the easiest jumping on point. And of course, Marvel pulled that wee fast one with having what Spider Man eight fifty and then Spider Man eight fifty one, which is also not Legacy fifty. So uh, you know, but still, as long as it's good storytelling, I don't care what they're, you know. As as just a matter of interest, do they build in the dot lr issues into the legacy numbering? Uh, no, I think they're separate, Alan. Uh, just I think they're separate. Um, I've got hold on, I've got uh, I've got one of them in front of me here. Um, just pure curiosity more than anything. Uh, no, no, they don't. They're just they're just fifty dot lr. So no, they're not they're not legacy numbered either. Either were the HU issues just during haunted. Yeah, I mean those those were a great uh, definition of ones that added value to the the overall. They almost became essential, I thought, to the to the overall story just because they were so well put together. Um, cool. Uh, a little bit more Marvel love there. A little bit of love for Cap, I see. Yeah, Cap number twenty four. Um, Cap is stunning cover by the way. My way again. Yeah, always a lovely cover. Uh, a, a stunningly horribly lovely cover. Um. If you're talking about the same one I am, um, Red but Skull. yeah, I think we're 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 starting to see. Uh, I mean, Cap seems to have been. I mean, got a fantastic writer on it, got a great artist on it, but it seems to just have been stuck in this nether world for a wee while. Uh, the last the last few issues have been really fantastic. The stuff with uh, Celine. Um, so we've got uh, we've got Sharon Carter back uh, back sort of de-aged back to. Back to her normal age, she's been a, an older woman for quite some time uh, after Dimension Z uh, and that, but she's she's back to the to, to the, the age I think she should be, uh, which is Steve's age, um, which makes the relationship not quite as weird looking, despite the fact Steve's age is chronologically different from that of his body, strangely. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah some good stuff in here, uh, some good uh, sparring between uh, Sharon and Steve and. Uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really starting to, starting to come round to it again. Uh, worth sticking with, and I'm glad I did. So Captain America 24. I see a little bit of a Mortal Hulk on there. You know, one day I will get fully caught up on a Mortal Hulk. Uh, just do it. It's great. It's so good. Um, I just managed to backtrace another three issues this week, so that, that I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I've, I've got about four well, issues missing in the whole collection. So, well, I'll not say too much other than to know, just to tell you that we now know who the who the big bad is, who the villain is. We now know the significance of the green doors, uh, and uh, we're uh, we're just getting deeper and deeper into the the whole idea of you know dissociative identity disorder and and how that manifests in in a gamma part individual. There's uh, Al Ewing, Al Ewing, Immortal Hulk, great. With Immortal Hulk, did I read somewhere that it's actually he's got a finite amount of issues lined up for it, or? Is it just a consistent ongoing? Do you know? I I mean I w- I would imagine just by virtue of the the story and how it's been told that there there has to be an end in sight. He has to have a he has to have a, a wrap up. He has to have a conclusion here. Uh, yeah, just looking it up here, it looks like it's going to be issue fifty, according right. to artist Joe Bennett. So we've still got plenty of goodness ahead. Another twelve issues or so. Another year, yes. This time next year, so uh, <laughs> it's coming to be, an end. Another year. <laughs> that that, Jesus, this has just been one of the the Hulk runs of all time. This is, I mean, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about it since it started, like, and it's just 
it's just amazing. It is the Immortal Hulk, and it is going to be immortalized as one of the Hulk runs. One of the runs, probably full stop. Absolutely. Um, adult adult storytelling, I think, was the, the way you put it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think very much adult storytelling in comics at its, at its best. Yeah, and if you're looking to catch up, Marvel have just started releasing the hardcovers for it. So the hardcovers tend to collect sort of 12 to 13 issues at a time. And we just got volume one and volume two in, so that'll cover like the first 24, 25 issues. So that'll help uh, bring you up to date. Uh, and then one more I believe you wanted to chat about. There's that man, Kieran Gillen, again. Can he successfully launch Warhammer through Marvel? Seems he can. Um, have you read it? I haven't. I have a copy to my left as we okay. speak. Okay. Uh, yourself? Yeah. Nope. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Warhammer 40K. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Marnius Calgar by uh, Kieran Gillen and uh, Jason Burroughs, who is Garth Ennis' longtime collaborator, uh, Yava Tartaglia on colors. So, yeah, it's... it's um, it's Marnius is a, an ultramarine commander. Um, it does a good job of, of laying down the... Uh, in a very sparse way. I mean, if you... I think if you were probably going into this hoping you were going to learn everything you need to know about Warhammer 40k. You might be disappointed, but you learn enough that you go into this never having seen anything about Warhammer 40k, and it, it gives you enough to go on for the story. Um, so it's set for more than 10,000 years. The living corpse of the Emperor has sat immobile on the Golden Throne. The Imperium of Man is beset on every side. A million space marines, the Emperor's Angels of Death, defend these million worlds. There is no hope, no peace, no love. In this grim darkness of the far future, there's only war, and heroes like Marnius Calgar fight it. So, uh, so yeah, it's just it really just sets the scene. You know who Marnius Calgar is. We learn a little bit about his background. We learn a little bit about the galaxy, the world in which we in which we're this the story uh, is is undertaken. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Jason Burroughs' art, I think, suits the likes of Warhammer, that gritty, grim future, um, very very well. Um, he doesn't really pull too many punches. Um, Jason Burroughs has also been on the likes of Crossed, so uh, he knows he knows uh, uh, gore, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, we learn a little bit about Marius uh, Calgar's past and how he trained to be an ultramarine and uh, and all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, um, it's a it's a dual story. We're we're learning about him as a as a celebrated uh, commander and about him as a as a boy and how he became that celebrated commander so good stuff and there's a there's a larger a larger story going on which we're, we're introduced to at the end uh you know what's going on. so yeah I, I thought that was well worth a read well worth picking up and you know following creators kieran gillen's names on it i have a wee tiny bit of warhammer 40k in my past you know was as a, a role player and a sometime model maker model model game tabletop war game player but I never could be arsed finishing painting the models to actually get to play in the game, but I did read a lot of the a lot of the rules and the books and stuff. So, you've always struck me as such a patient person. I, I'm shocked that maybe the painting of the models didn't appeal to you more. Yeah, I had so many other things to be patient with. I just didn't have time. <laughs> That's a fair enough explanation. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I didn't get a copy of this the week it came out simply because it actually flew off the shelf. It sold really really well for us. We ordered top ups straight away. We're nearly through those again. But I made sure to uh, keep a copy aside for myself because 
as you well know, you know, I'm the biggest proponent of follow creators. So I'll certainly give this a go. My knowledge of 40 Warhammer 40k is next to zero. So I'll, I'll be going into it nice and fresh and clean anyway. So I'll definitely give it a go. I will say it's very, very different from any other Kieran Gillen book we've talked about uh, so far today. It's very different from, from any of those books. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Not, not, not simple. Um, it'll have that complexity, I'm quite sure, but uh, but not maybe to the degree of uh, of Once in Future or uh, or Die, which we spoke about as well. So, um, do you think, think maybe that was, some... was a conscience effort to make it as sort of almost simplify the story, maybe simplify the world, I guess, because I, I've chatted with Alan in store a few times, and he's a massive forty k guy. And mm-hmm. and he'll go off on long diatribes about the mythology of this world. And oh, it's got huge mythology, like massive. Yeah. yeah so I, good, so I, mean, I do wonder if they just maybe tried to simplify it a little bit at the start, just for sort yeah, of maybe, newcomers. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely. I would say it's an introductory book. Yeah. Definitely a jump on. Yeah. Cool. So some Marvel titles for you there. So just finish off then with a few indie titles from this week. So some good stuff here as well. Uh, we had the final issue of a series that I know myself and Keith have both been enjoying called Stealth. Uh, this was a story that came from an original idea by Robert Kirkman and Mark Silvestri. But the creative team in this has actually been Mike Costa on writing duties, Nate Belgard on art, and there's that colorist again from Once in Future, Tamara Bond villain uh, on color duties. So this was, I thought, a really good conclusion to the story. I thought mm. it did pull a little bit of a sixth sense sort of twist at the end, which I... Maybe won't go into too much detail of, but I'd be curious to go back and read this from the start, knowing now what I know about the story. You know, the obviously we've been dealing with sort of a, a superhero through this who has Alzheimer's or, you know, dementia, that kind of thing. And they sort of explain it away why that character has it rather than it just being down to age and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. degradation and all the rest. So I'd be curious to go back and read it a, a second time, but it's a series I've thoroughly enjoyed. Like, really yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, I. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I thought it was it was a fantastic uh, superhero book, but that superhero with a twist, that idea of of what happens whenever a superhero becomes impaired but doesn't know it. Uh, you know, it's a it's a common story um, on a, on a human level. Mm-hmm. Um, you say Sixth Sense, I would say Twelve Monkeys. Um, but uh, but yeah, I thought it was I thought it was very very good, very good end to a very good story. Uh, I'm interested to see if they're going to do any more with it. I don't think they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I do know that for the solicitation for the trade, it's Stealth Trade Paperback Volume 1. So. Yes, and I know that Mike Costa certainly uh, twisted away and twisted around with, with Kirkman's original concept. Uh, he kept the bare bones of it and, and went from there. But yeah, it was, it was very enjoyable, very enjoyable uh, series. So uh, worth picking up that trade whenever it comes out. I- certainly will looking forward to it just to mention there of a movie it's been way too long since i've seen 12 monkeys is great i really must get mm. that a rewatch sometime did you ever see the tv series i never did no was it was it an adaptation of it i know that 12 monkeys was an adaptation of a french movie called la jette which uh-huh. was a 30 minute short movie which was told entirely in still frames really great movie um but I never watched the TV show. I didn't know if it was linked in any way. Or... Yeah, it is. It is linked. It is linked. Um, I watched the first series of it and quite enjoyed it uh, and then fell off it for some reason not 
because it was bad, just because there was so much stuff on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just it sort of it finished, and then I just forgot to jump back on it again. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, another wee indie title worth having a look at. We certainly hyped this one for a little while. We had Stephen Guest review on the website for it, getting early early copies. So Steve Orlando's Commanders in Crisis. I had read it a few sort of a few weeks ago, well in advance. Uh, that preview copy, as I say, what were your guys' takes on it? What do you think, Roddy? Um, I think I think it was good, but I just don't think it's for me. <laughs> Is the polite way of putting it? Um, just yeah, this this sort of cross of science fiction and superheroes. I think it's probably a hard thing to do to introduce a new group of superheroes to anything, you know. But it's maybe my aver. I kind of have an aversion to that, you know, when it's you didn't really know them all. I felt like there wasn't much information about them and then i don't know uh, maybe i wasn't in the mood when i was reading it it might go back and reread it but um yeah i don't think i'll be getting number two what about you guys um i will be getting number two i was interested enough that i'm gonna grab i'm gonna grab number two whether or not it makes it to number three is another question um but it was it was enjoyable enough um I don't know. I don't know what they're. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if, if they're gonna do a, like a a deconstruction of of like a superhero team sort of thing. Um, in which case, just drop it and go straight to Invincible. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know if. I don't know if. Am I interested that they're all former presidents of their own worlds that. Only a second that, issue will tell you. Yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much like you, Keith. I'll always give something two issues simply because, especially as you say, Roddy, when you're trying to establish a new sort of superhero world like this, there's a lot of heavy lifting. There's a lot of exposition. There's yeah. a lot for you to not explain. Like, so I think... Not a slight on its quality. It's just not for me. <laughs> well, that's I'm fair. Happy to move that's along. absolutely fair. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll give it a second issue, same again. I mean, I like Steve Orlando as a writer. I thought the work he did with Martian Manhunter was superb as an example. Uh, so I'll definitely continue with it. I enjoyed the first issue. I thought the the art is probably right up your alley, Keith. All those clean lines, just nice yeah. and simple, you know, quite diverse uh, in terms of the characters would, and so forth. I would, so. Nearly, I would nearly say too simple. <laughs> maybe, maybe. It was a wee bit too... Uh, there was nothing. There was nothing about the art that made me. That made me go wow. Yeah. Uh, well, I can tell you that I did go wow at a cover for it, but it'll be different to your cover because it was a Mirko Andolfo one to ten variant that I have. Ooh, but okay. I have a variant problem these days, so uh, which I wholeheartedly admit <laughs> to. It sounds like something you can get a cream for. Alex. <laughs> I wish I could get a cream for it. Need a bigger bank account for it. Uh, yeah, so that is Commanders in Crisis number one. And then just one I wanted to finish on that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed was actually my graphic novel from this week, which was The House. So The House was actually a kickstarted graphic novel. It is art and co-created by Drew Zucker, he who we spoke to certainly a few months ago regarding Kanto, one of the co-creators of that great series. And this is also written by Philip Sevy who did a, a story recently for uh, Dark Horse, I think it was called, called Triage. 
and the house this was an original graphic novel as i say so it was set uh, they did seven issues through kickstarter and then they released the graphic and it's a good title for this time of the year it's a it's a horror story with a bit of a sci-fi tinge so just just to read the, the back to you because i i can't you know talk about it better than how they uh talk about it in the back so it's dark it's snowing enemies are all around you you're lost you're exhausted and the snow keeps coming up ahead is an empty house a shelter a refuge do you go in so it's a story that's set during world war ii it's set during the battle of the bulge there's these uh soldiers retreating they're being chased through the woods and they end up in this house it's got very resident evil type vibes at the start there's evil dead type vibes in here uh just a thoroughly engrossing book i read it you know cover to cover in one sitting i listened to the shutter island soundtrack while reading it which i thought worked deliciously well um because i'm always a big proponent of movie scores with comics but yeah it's it's one that's quite unique in that as far as i'm aware you can't get it anywhere else this side of the world we obviously struck up a good uh, relationship with drew zucker through you know the canto interview and you know how much we pushed that book i got in touch and we got we get 15 copies sent to the store they sold out within three hours we just received another 15 in there last week and i think we're down to like eight now already so it's it's a good title for this type of time of year it would make a good gift as well if you know you've got a horror fan in your life because i doubt they would have seen this anywhere else so just thoroughly dug it i'll happily throw you my copy guys if you have to give it a read but yeah just it really got under my skin reading it it had a really good eerie atmosphere to it and it, it maintained it throughout and you know concluded very satisfyingly as well so really really do recommend that guys and as i say i'm pretty sure it's exclusive to us uh this side of the world because even when we got it in uh drew and philip both tweeted sort of saying finally now available on the other side of the atlantic so uh i thought that was a a cool little shout out so yeah that will do it with us because there is no dandering with the dead from the 14th of october our brand new feature for roddy but you get a you get a month break between issue one and two, but after that it's fortnightly. It's a fortnightly dander. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of brains. You hungry for brains, Roddy? <laughs> hungry for issue two. <laughs> so uh yeah, so we'll just take a very quick break here and then we will be back after that with all the same again, but all from the twenty first of October. So back in a sec. <laughs> So welcome back and now we're going to be jumping into our favourite comics from the week of release from the 21st of October which uh, for some reason has been put on our notes as the 21st of October but there you go. That'll be me. That'll be me. It confused me for a second there because I was reading from it and I went that's definitely wrong. Anyway uh, so yeah so same again so we'd like to dip into the pull lists and see what, how many titles we picked up this week so for me this was a week of 22 titles there were eight dc six marvel eight indie so a nice even split there and then i had two trades as well uh how about yourself roddy what were your numbers uh, cover your ears i had 10 titles in total zero dc <laughs> four marvel and six indie are you sure one of those Marvel ones weren't just a DC one, but it was so good that you put it under Marvel instead of DC? Uh, let me check. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, Keith? What do you have? Uh, 19 titles for me in total. 3 DC, 11 Marvel, 5 Indie. 
So we're uh, all and eleven Marvel this week and eleven Marvel last week. We are all wonderfully conforming to type here, where you know I had so many DC, Roddy had so many indie, and yeah. Keith had so many Marvel. But despite all of that conforming to type, my pick of the week is an indie book again. So this is once again me extolling the virtues of following creators rather than characters. So for me, number one of the week is a title from Image Comics. It's called The Scumbag Number One. The reason I say because following creators is this is written by Rick Remender. Anybody who knows me knows how much I love Deadly Class, how much I love Black Science, Death or Glory. I really must go back and read some of his Marvel work. I'm sure it's something you're more familiar with, uh, Keith. I know he did. Uh, he did run on Venom. He did, what was it, Uncanny X-Force, was it? Uh, Uncanny Avengers, I believe. Uncanny Avengers. Uh, was what he was on, yeah. Uh, which was a kind of a... Uh, an X-Men Avengers sort of crossover. Um, there's some other stuff on that uh, on that list of his that uh, that has just eluded me just at the minute. Did a lot of Valiant stuff, didn't he? Yeah, he's 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 very much been around, so he has, and I just absolutely adore his indie work. Uh, the cover of the Scumbag is this great cover. So the artist on this is Louis Larusa, which is someone I'm not overly familiar with, but definitely someone I'll be keeping an eye out for. Uh, Remender did sorry, Remender did a fantastic Captain America run as well. He did the, the he was the Dimension Z stuff in oh, Captain America. Oh, that was America, him and Romita yeah. Junior, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so yeah, so colorist on this is Moreno Denicio, a uh, letter Russ Wooten. So you gotta love a cover that has a tagline. So it has the scumbag, and then underneath it says the world's fate rests with the worst person on it. Then you've got this great sort of close-up image of what can only be described as a redneck. You know, Ray-Ban sunglasses, dodgy moustache, cigarette hanging out of the mouth, and then two nuclear explosions going off in the glasses. So, with the scumbag, essentially, you are introduced to a character called Ernie Clementine. And he is essentially, he's a degenerate bum. He's a filthy drug addict. You know, he spends his days in, you know, in search of his next fix. He is really well known around those the, the parts with which he lives as a petty thief. You know, he knows all the hookers. He can very much be trusted about as far as you can throw him. Uh, in short, as the opening title suggests, he's the worst man alive. At the same time you're introduced to him, there is a fight going on outside this bar between two super agents, one called Father Time and the other called Scorpionus. And they're in a race to um, obtain what's called the Formula Maxima. It's essentially just a, a plot device, but it's to save slash destroy the planet. And the formula maxima in this is in the form of a syringe. Now, the reason that the scumbag himself, Ernie, gets involved in this is he gets kicked out of the bar. There's an absolutely disgusting scene outside the bar where it shows you just how low he can go. And he ends up witnessing this fight. But as he witnesses the fight, the syringe gets knocked out of his hand, which is clearly his next drug fix. And then the syringes get mixed up, and then he essentially takes the, uh, the formula maxima. The reason I love this so much, it's it's sort of a well-worn tale, you know, of you know the lovable loser, I suppose, who you know gets you know called up to the first team, so to speak. But this really had the feel of something like the Big Lebowski. It had the feel of you know that old wise narrator telling you a story of a man in time, a man who maybe wasn't appreciated in his time. I mean, you only have to look at the opening narration on the first page. You know, he's a relic of a bygone era, the living embodiment of the suffocated spirit of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's him right over there, the one and only Ernie Ray Clementine. Ernie's a profound, uh, a profane, illiterate, drug-addicted, ne'er-do-well with a fifth-grade education, and he's the only thing standing between us 
and our total Armageddon. But I'm jumping ahead. Presently, Ernie is scanning the local denizens on the hunt for a special friend. You know, it really does have that big Lebowski, tumbling weed sort of story feel to it. There's a lot of great humor in the first uh, the first issue. As I say, there are some scenes that, you know, you just will not believe exist in a comic book uh, that show how much he has hit rock bottom. It's a double page spread that I, I could show you guys very quickly, but, you know, obviously you can't hear it on the podcast, but, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it's an acquired taste, shall we say. But that's sort of that's sort of the point of it, you know. You're showing someone at rock bottom, but even that person can sort of step up when they're needed. Uh, it has a great little homage to James Bond on the back of the back cover of it as well. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those great indie books. It's just a really good time, really funny, inventive. I love the art on it. I can't comment just how good the art is. And as I say, Louis Larousse is not someone I'm overly familiar with, but I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for them. It's got a bit of an Adam Hughesy type um, vibe to it. Think of like, you know, for argument's sake, think of like an even more sci-fi version of Adventure Man. Or sorry, not Adam Hughes, Terry Dodson, sorry. Uh, quite similar artwork to that. So, yeah, just a really, really fun first issue. Had me laughing out loud quite a few times through it. Just really good character work in it as well. And then just a really cool cliffhanger at the end for where it's going to be going from there. I mean, he essentially ends up with this psychic projection talking to him about what he needs to do to you know see if the world of bomb is going to go off in the next 10 minutes and he starts making like a list of his demands he's like you know we, we need you to help us you know if, what what can we do for you that will actually help and he, he just starts listing off these stupid demands like okay uh two thousand dollars cash money get judas priest to play for me and my friends at simon's bar a hunter s thompson briefcase full of drugs and a flying trans am car you know, it's with one of them sex dolls that can talk. It's just a really absurd book. It's It reminds me a little, little tiny bit as well of The Ludocrats, but not quite as ludicrous as that title, as <laughs> so the title suggests. It would be, would be hard to get to that level. It certainly would. I mean, it's a more real, realistic take than that as well. But, uh, yeah, it's it even has this great quote at the start from uh, Charles Bukowski. Uh, he said, The problem with the world is that the intelligent people are full of doubts, while the stupid ones are full of confidence. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just a really class book. And again, very different to anything Remender's done before, but just a hell of a lot of fun. And it's an indication of how much I enjoyed this, that it was my pick of the week when I will be getting on to some very, very good DC titles later on mm. in the honorable mentions. So, so was it an ongoing, Alan? I believe it's going to be an ongoing, yeah. <clears throat> so... It's currently solicited at the as far as issue four, I think. But I, I do believe in an interview Remender did say it would be an ongoing title. So there's a lot to work with here because the, the first issue is primarily set on Earth, but clearly other dimensions exist, other you know, space travel exists, all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of fertile ground to explore here. So highly recommend reading it. I've I've got more copies coming into the store because we sold out actually on uh, by the Thursday, I think. And yeah, just really, really cool book. So highly, highly recommend it. So yeah, my pick of the week, Scumbag number one by Rick Remender and Louis LaRosa. How about yourself, Roddy? What was your pick of the week for the 21st of October? All right, so we're going to keep it indie. Um, this is probably the polar opposite of the Scumbag. <laughs> this is from publisher Aftershock Comics. Writers are 
Inaki Miranda and Roy Miranda. Inaki is also the artist. And colors are Eva Dela Cruz and letters are Dave Sharp. And this is called We Live. And this this book blew me away. Um, I'm sure Alan can talk a little bit about uh, the hype surrounding it a little bit later. But um, I'll give you a wee uh, gist of the story. Um, so the human race is just five days from extinction. A series of uh, different events from climate change to world war have left 10% of the world's population alive. And the message from the furthest reaches of space tell of another attack is coming and the world is going to be destroyed um, there's like a glimmer of hope for humanity um, which will be 5,000 children will be spared being provided safe passage to a new planet given a fresh start via some extraction beacons I think they're called around placed at various places around the world um, but to get on one of these beacons, you need to be wearing uh, a special rescue bracelet, which have been dropped at random spots across the planet. Um, this this thing blew me away. Um, I loved every everything about it, from the two characters, which is basically it's the Ho Toto and Tala. And Tala is the big sister of Hototo, who basically on her mother's death deathbed, Tala promised that she would keep her little brother's innocence alive for as long as possible. And there's a little bit of um, deception as to why she is going, because uh, maybe I'll not give you the spoilers. There's there's some sort of intrigue to their journey. Um, but yeah, I thought this book was gorgeous it reminded me the world it was you weren't told about the world you represented the world through the amazing artwork um, kind of gave me sort of horizon vibes and um, I don't know there's this game called enslaved I don't know if anyone played that in the PS3 kind of reminded me of that I think it was written by Alex Garland who did the beach and oh yeah ex machina and all 20 um, but yeah this is, but it reminded me of the relationship feels very much like a Hayao Miyazaki book um, or movie, sorry, should I say. The artwork is absolutely stunning. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful story. And it's a really, it's a really bittersweet story at the end. And I was, I was just mesmerized by it. It's, um, if you've also, don't know if anyone's ever played Fallout, but there's there's a really great storytelling device that tells you about um, the end of the world, <laughs> and it's like a there's sort of a tongue-in-cheek '50s. Can't remember what his name is in Fallout, but he delivers like this sort of all these announcements, and in this one, it's called the Civil Defense an Announcement, mm. and it's done in like this cheery, silly kind of way. He's announcing the end of the world, but it's done in like this silly rah-rah american type way is really good mm. really beautiful and um just the, the cartoony nature really blends with the like the beauty of the this forgotten and tarnished world and then the beauty of the two characters too and all this stuff about innocence and yeah it's really good really just was absolutely enthralled by it all it, you're on it alan but keith isn't 
Yeah, right. I uh, I thoroughly love this. This was actually one that Vicky put on the wall, as I say, a few months ago. Yeah. Uh, just I think it was the the main thing that grabbed her in the previews book was the art, and I mean you only have to look at the you know the opening, the cover. You know it's a fold out cover. You know you you see just a, a great. I mean not only is it a fold out cover, it's a three way fold out cover, if you include the back cover as well. And just a beautiful, beautiful issue. I thought that really good characterization throughout. Yeah, the little um, info blurbs you're talking about at the end, they reminded me of, you were saying Fallout, they reminded me of Bioshock. Anytime you used to get yeah, abilities yes, in yes, Bioshock. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it really reminded me of that, which I thought was great. But yeah, really cool world being established. A lot of mentions of like before the war and stuff like that. So there's definitely a rich mythology that's been um, set up here as well. I mean, the guys who wrote it are the Miranda brothers and, you know, you might recognize them to a degree, Keith, because they actually worked on Batman Beyond, uh, some oh. earlier issues of it. They also worked on a really good uh, Vertigo title at Android from a few years ago called Coffin Hill, which was very good as well. So, yeah, brilliant first issue. It's it's slightly um, slightly stained in a way, I suppose, just by Roddy had alluded to it before about the... It, it's one of those issues that demonstrates the sort of darker side of the industry and that, you know, this was a, a series that we talked about for months. We put it on, as I say, the previews board. It was on the board, on the podcast, on the website, the previews books. No one really jumped on it. And then a week before it comes out, all these stories started coming out of it being a $30 book, $40 book, and suddenly people are interested. And, and to me, this is the kind of story that, it deserves to be popular because of how good it is, not because it's a, quote, hot issue. And in an unusual move from Aftershock, actually, because they don't usually do this a lot, but there is a second print on the way. So hopefully that'll find an audience as well because they want to read it rather than just, quote, invest in it, so to speak. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's. I would say the same about the scumbag. You've, what you guys have chatted about as your picks, I'm definitely keen on on the picking up and or reading depending on on what is appropriate but that that just that's an example you know what i mean you haven't talked about it i'm going geez i'd be interested in reading that and these pricks have ramped up well, the price no. with their speculation you <laughs> no, know you can't. no you can't <laughs> same, same for the listeners but <laughs> i just yeah like I, we we try not to let that stuff bother us but um i also meant to say there was a really cool like Alan and Vicky had told me in the store before um, I read it, there was a really cool, you scan a VR code at the start, and then it takes you to the Aftershock Comics website where you've got um, like a, a soundtrack, which is really cool. can't remember the artist's name, but it, so you're, like, you, do, you do an Alan, basically, and listen to music while you read comics. But they get they provide you with the soundtrack. Well, what I can also say about those QR codes and the soundtrack is that as well as being a good soundtrack to We Live. I was reading Sandman at the time because Vicky was reading We Live in Bed <laughs> and I was reading Sandman and it worked very well with Sandman as well. So, But yeah, I love those extra little details to comics like that. I mean, that that's extra effort for an indie writer and indie producer to go to, but it's all about trying to envelop you within that world and give you a really good experience. And yeah, I, was, I, I loved the book. Absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm... It's terrible to say in a way, but there, there are so many times, certainly as someone who runs a comic store, that I'll always give up my issues because someone comes to it late, wants to read it. I don't want to give up this issue. It's It was class, and Vicky would kill me if I gave it up anyway. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just heard not happening in the background there. But, 
Yeah, I mean, I I just love stories like this to do well because they're great stories, not because someone behind a keyboard has decided this is a hot issue and therefore ramped up the prices, you know. So we have ordered the second prints to come in, so I really hope this does find more of an audience for its storytelling rather than anything else. Nice, nice. You stealing Roddy's word there? I, without even without even <laughs> thinking about it, Alan. That's how devious Sorry. I am. Just uh, I'll, I'll I'll allow you one time, but uh, the second will come at a price. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. <laughs> he's a bra- he's a brave man over Skype. You see, that's what it nah, is. I'm only messing. You know, yeah. that was that was that was Roddy being not nice. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm going to have to break you two boys up, I tell you. <laughs> um, but yeah, great pick, Roddy. I mean, it was it was very close as well with myself to, to being up there. It was uh, I thought it was wonderful. So uh, yeah, so guys, if that, if that does sound good too, do get in touch. As I say, second prints are on the way rather than paying those overinflated prices for a first print. Or wait for trade. Either way, definitely worth discovering. So that was We Live number one, which was Roddy's pick of the week. So We'll finish off then with yourself, Keith. What have you got for us as your pick of the week? Uh, it's a it's a rare thing, but uh, from the, the the my last week's pick was a Marvel book, and this week's pick is also a Marvel book. But I think it might be the first time that uh, Marvel's first family, the Fantastic Four, have appeared as a pick. Uh, really, since we started this particular format, so I'm going with uh, Dan Slott and R. B. Silva's. Uh, Fantastic Four number 25, so it's a a double-sized anniversary issue, and it is a fantastic jumping-on point for the Fantastic Four. Um, So after Empire, uh, Dan Slott is continuing on Fantastic Fantastic Four, but R.B. Silva, who you will remember from Powers of X, uh, has jumped on as the, the main artist on the title. Uh, Jesus Arbatov is on uh, is on colors. Has he flamed on? He has flamed on indeed. Um, so it's a say it's an anniversary book. So we've got uh, like two and a two stories and a and a page a vignette by by Dan Slott. The second story is with uh, Paco Medina. Third story is with Will Robinson. But a uh, lot of I mean R. B. Silva is just fantastic, uh, and I should. I should say as well, the cover artist is Mark Brooks, and the cover is phenomenal. Just right in the center, you've got the the four members of the Fantastic Four, and then in, in little insets around the around them, you have the the four. I guess the four junior members of the Fantastic Four, but we'll get to that in a wee minute. Um, so, the main story uh, is called "There Shall Be a Reckoning." That's by by Dan Slott and Silva, and there's this alien. Uh, the likes of which we haven't really seen before. I couldn't tell you who he is. I don't think he's appeared before. And he's been directed by this. Uh, he's like a like a drone or an explorer for this helmsman who's communicating with him telepathically and commanding him. And uh, and he is he's going to Earth and uh, and then going to Earth. He's searching for a device that Reed Richards, a device of mysterious power that Reed Richards has hidden and never mentioned before at all. So uh, it's kind of, I guess, the MacGuffin of the story. So, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on here. So they what what they do is they set up a series of of wee stories that bring you up to date, and that's what makes this such a such a great jumping on point. You. You can just, I mean, everybody sort of knows who the Fantastic Four are, but this gives you a good jumping on point. So, for example, if you were silly enough to miss Mark Wade's Invisible Woman series, 
you'll learn at the start of this uh, that she has been a spy for Nick Fury uh, now and again. And uh, Nick calls her and says, I've got a wee job for you, Sue, because who better to be a spy than an invisible woman? You were on that Mark Wade series, weren't you, Alan? Yeah, it was a great run. So it was just five issues, yeah. but it was, it was yeah. great stuff. Natural so fit uh, for the characters, you said? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, so it's referenced here immediately. I mean, you remember Zdarsky's X-Men Fantastic Four? Yep. You know that Franklin's a mutant and that uh, currently, you know, he was during that during that series, he was torn between his Fantastic Fourness and his X-Men-ness. Well, uh, right here, he's got a conversation with his Uncle Johnny regarding his activity with Krakoa on Krakoa and his friendship with Iceman and, and what's going on there. So, And then we also learn about um, the new status quo with Ben and Alicia as they put Joe and Nikki, who are the... Uh, the Skrull and the Cree child that they've now adopted after Empire, as they put them to bed, uh, and uh, and that so and, and get them ready for the first day at school. So, it's uh, and then you've got you've got Reed working with Valeria's daughter in the lab, you know, and and she's put they're putting she's putting together like a teleporter thing, and he's you know congratulating her. So it's you know you really it really pulls you into the Fantastic Four, and I mean that that family that family aspect is very much there. They are a family, you know, and they're. From there, things just go off. Um, this alien, you know, he's searching, searching for this this MacGuffin, this this thing. It turns out it's in, it's in the Baxter Building now. The Fantastic Four don't live in the Baxter Building any, anymore. They live in uh, live in Yancey Street, number four Yancey Street, uh, and it's a long time since they've been in the Baxter Building. But Reed left something in the Baxter Building, and the 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 group that used to be the Great Lake Avengers. Um, they live there now, and they're masquerading as some other team. I can't remember what it is, but anyway, this this alien levels the Baxter Building. I mean, the Baxter Building is one of the uh, most famous buildings in Marvel New York. It's the home of the Fantastic Four. Um, Peter Parker bought it a while ago, whenever he was rich, and then lost it again whenever he lost all his money. Um, you know, but the you know, so he destroys this building, and uh, you know, everybody gets in there. There's a there's so the the, the job that the job that Sue has been sent on by Nick is to steal something off Doctor Doom from the from the the, the Latvian embassy, and uh, obviously that doesn't go well, um, and Doom becomes involved um, and uh, and all of that. But but yeah, they get into a bit of a bit of a battle. There's this MacGuffin that that was this the the it was such that Reed wasn't able to move it from the Baxter Building whenever they left because it was immovable because. It's locked to a point in space and time, uh, so he wasn't able to move it. But this creature seems to this alien that's after it seems to be able to move it, and uh, so there's a big, a nice big knock and knock out, knock down, drag out fight, you know, and, and all of that, and it just it sets up a new status quo here. Um, uh, yeah, just a really fantastic, but yeah, it sets up a new status quo in that, you know, the Fantastic Four always work best whenever they work together. They're a family. But uh, and and they none of them are able to make a dent in this in this big dude, you know. And and eventually they work together as a family. And eventually, uh, Franklin is a is an omega level mutant. Yeah, the son is a is a, an omega level. He's one of the most powerful mutants in the world. You know, he's 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 able to alter reality. But recently we've learned that his power is finite. It will run out. The more he uses it, the less of it he has. So you know, uh, Franklin expands his power here. Uh, using his uncle's, uh, using his uncle's, uh, you know, battle cry. Uh, it's clobbering time. He swings in and expends the last of his power trying to take out this, this alien. You know, so, 
so yeah, it's and it does it, it sets up this new status quo with what is what is created at the end uh, by the opening of the uh, of the zero container, and uh, and what Valeria does to uh, you know to to avoid what's happened and uh, there's a thing created called the Forever Gate and uh, it's going to have to be guarded forever and you know we end you know we end with with I guess a few new things sort of sorted out. This this gate is going to have to be guarded in shifts by the Fantastic Four or or, or members of their of their friendship group who are mostly heroes. Um, you know, Sue and Sue and Reed have a nice chat, and uh, she's obviously annoyed at uh, she's obviously annoyed at Reed uh, for keeping this thing a secret. And the conversation kind of goes. Reed goes, and how long have you been a secret spy for Nick Fury? And uh, Sue says, uh, how long were you a part of a secret Illuminati club? And he goes, fair point. She so she goes, so no more secrets. And he goes, agreed. And meanwhile, uh, the newlyweds, um, Ben and Alicia, you know, they're they're trying to find, they're suddenly realizing that they're going to have to homeschool their kids. That, that a Cree kid and a and a Skrull kid going to a regular school isn't going to work. You know, uh, Valeria, she's on a high. She's on a genius role. You know, she's solving problems that her dad hasn't been able to solve for over a decade. And meanwhile, Franklin. Back in his room, you know, he's ripped down all his posters of Dazzler and the mutant stuff. He's lost his powers. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's so there's there's some really lovely status quo set up here. Um, so I'm really interested to see where this is going. Some new uniforms introduced. It's just it's a perfect jumping on point for the Fantastic Four. Um, Doctor Doom's in there and that, but there's a backup story. There's a backup story by by uh, illustrated by Pago Medina and. Uh, have you guys read the uh, or uh, Alan? Even have you read the the Empire Aftermath? I still haven't read Empire. Yeah, oh, you haven't, <laughs> right? Okay, so I'll not uh, I'll not go too far, but it concerns the Unseen. Uh, do you know who the Unseen is? So the Unseen, whenever uh, Original Sin you know, during that storyline at Marvel uh, miniseries that was about who killed the Watcher, wasn't it? Who killed the Watcher, and and at that time, I don't think it's any spoiler for me to tell you that it was Nick Fury. Nick Fury killed the Watcher, yeah. um, and uh, in fact took one of the Watcher's eyes. And at the end of that, uh, the the remainder remaining members of the Watcher Council punished Fury for killing Uetu, the Watcher, Uetu the Watcher, by making him the Unseen. So he was he was chained to the blue area of the moon. And he was cloaked, and he was he was given the the Watcher's mission to always watch and never interfere. Now, now Fury has interfered quite a bit um, as the Unseen. Uh, um, he, uh, you know, he interfered with uh, with Thor, and that was that led to the creation of Jane Foster Thor and and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, we've got uh, some some interesting stuff happens here in this in this backup story. Um, where uh, where the Watcher returns effectively, um, and uh, Fury is no longer needed to be the Watcher. He's no longer has to be the Unseen, and uh, in effect, they change the status quo there as as the Watcher returns to his role and tells Fury their war is coming. It's all linked to the weapons that were found at the in the end of Avenger or Empire Fantastic Four aftermath or whatever they called it, and. Uh, you know, Yeto tells uh, Fury that a war is coming. Nicholas Fury, an old war, the first war. Everyone, everything, everywhere, and every when is in peril. The moment calls for soldiers, not watchers. Will you serve? And uh, there's just this class moment where 
this cloak that Fury Fury's been wearing, you know, these chains just fly off him, and under it he's got his old shield uniform and his eye patch back on, and he just goes, "Wahoo!" <laughs> so the Howling Commando was back. Uh, so, and I don't know if Marvel or if this is something that's been set up as a Fantastic Four story, or if this is Marvel's next big thing. Uh, you know, this forever war or whatever it is. But yeah, it's a real, uh, it's a real status quo changing issue. Uh, and I'm I'm interested to see what's going forward. So if you're if you were thinking about jumping on Fantastic Four, this would be the issue to do it with. Yeah, I mean I really dug that sort of one shot. We talked about it in the the last reviews podcast, I believe, issue twenty four, which was very much a one shot sort of history of the Fantastic Four issue, I suppose, with you know the sort of beef between Iceman and the Human Torch, which I thought was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. So uh, I, I do have a copy of 25 because I think that might be my way of getting back into Fantastic Four. But I do think I should probably read Empire. It's all sitting beside my bed. Yeah, yeah. Good show. Go. It's ready Good to show. go. You can, I mean, there's not too much, there's not too much that you, you, you wouldn't have to read Empire to come into this. The only hangover from Empire is, is Nikki and Joe, the, the two kids yeah. that uh, Ben and Alicia have adopted. Um, but other than that, you're, you're, you're sort of good to go. Uh, Dan Slott's really hitting his... It's taken him a wee while uh, to, to hit his stride in Fantastic Four. Took him maybe the first year to, to really hit it. Mm-hmm. And I think now that he's dropped uh, Iron Man, he, you know, hopefully he'll focus on this because I think he's the perfect writer for it. And RV Silva's art is just phenomenal. Um, just absolutely, absolutely love it. Uh, Jesus Arbatov's colours, uh, so, so good. Um so yeah, highly highly recommend that Fantastic Four twenty five. It's a five ninety nine book, um, but it just flows so well, flows so well. Cool. So Fantastic Four number twenty five, Dan Slot, RB Silva for Keith's pick of the week. So we move on then to the honorable mentions section of the podcast. Again, there's a ton of. I mean, obviously, I'm known more as Mister DC. There's a ton of great DC stuff this uh, week that was very close to being pick of the week, but just scumbag just was that little bit ahead. The first one that really stood out for me is probably the worst marketed title of the year, but what a brilliant title. So a little while ago, Sean Murphy, he of Batman White Knight, he announced that there was going to be a new initiative to White Knight where there was going to be these individual set stories within the so-called Murphyverse. And he would essentially allow different creators to come on board, a different writer, different artist to you know play in that sandbox, if you will. But from my understanding, and certainly the way it was marketed, it was a case of it's not vital, but it's, you know, there's stories that take place within it. And he announced that the third part of White Knight was coming out soon, and it was going to be called Beyond the White Knight. So this week it hits the the first of these, quote, tie-in issues. So it's Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number one. There's going to be a six-issue miniseries. It's written by Sean Murphy's wife, Katana Collins, who herself is an international best-selling author. Art is by Mario Scalera. That is a massive selling point for me because I'm a huge, huge fan of Black Science. And then Colors by Dave Stewart. The reason I say it's so badly marketed is because this is effectively White Knight 3. This literally picks up two years after the end of Curse of White Knight. So a li- uh, some big spoilers here for Curse if you haven't read it. Uh, if you haven't, do skip forward past this review. Skip forward a minute or two. Spoiler warning over. Oh, I see Roddy has pulled his earphones out. He really does need to keep the spoilers away. So p- p- pull them further away, Roddy. Oh, no. Pull I'm them. just I'm just taking a break because you said it's DC time. Oh, 
Now I'm going to spoil the life out of it for you. Spoil the life out of it for you. So White Knight essentially ends, Curse of the White Knight ends with, you know, Joker dying. But although the Jack persona is mostly taken over at that point, Jack Napier and Bruce Wayne is in jail for his actions as Batman. So this picks up with that status quo in mind. You know, Harley in this um, story, Harley's recalling like her first meetings with Jack. Uh, she now has uh, twin babies and she also has uh, a really close relationship with Bruce despite him being in jail. And the main crux of this story is that there's a murder investigation where peop- the, the victims are being made up to look like sort of black and white movie stars. And it's all about should she get involved in the, in the case or you know should she leave those demons to the side and not get involved and uh, just try and balance her life as a mum and you know as a more responsible adult i suppose but i i absolutely love the issue but i just again i can't stress it enough they just marketed this so badly i would class this as essential as the next step in the white knight story uh mario scalaire's art is completely on point i mean he's got a very similar style to murphy you know it's quite sort of you know, rough and ready artwork, I suppose, is a way to put it. But there's a scene in it where Batman crashes in through the roof of this gentleman's club, uh, where Harley is actually a, a pole dancer in it. This is how she meets Jack Napier for the first time in the uh, in the Murphyverse. And he crashes through the window, and you'd swear it was Sean Murphy drawing it. Uh, the colors are beautiful. It's just a really class issue. But again, I can't stress it enough. And, you know, you know I don't like to give DC abuse, but they really marketed this so badly. They should have at least called it White Knight 2.5 or something um, because <laughs> I think it's essential. I really, really like do. Under-promised and over-delivered almost? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I mean to give you an idea, so as a comic store, we had 42 people on Curse of White Knight. With this coming out, we had 15 people on it because I wasn't going to automatically put people's pull lists onto this because A, I don't like adding things that people don't ask for and B, they class this as non-essential. But I still ordered in 35 copies, so I had 20 copies for the racks, which is unprecedented for us, unless you're a title called Three Jokers. But it's pretty unprecedented for us to order that amount. And because of the word of mouth of it, when people realized what it was, we were sold out by Saturday. You know, so people were picking it up, and then I was always worried that they were maybe looking at me in a way of like, why would you not set this aside for me? But we never want to set stuff aside for people if they haven't specifically asked for it. Like, Keith's a good example. Keith would always take my recommendations, and if I put one in his box, he would probably give it a go. But he also has a massive pull list, so I don't want to just, like, add to that and, you know, assume. So it's it's a delicate balance sometimes, you know, but brilliant title. Really highly recommend that We've got more copies coming this week. It's worth it for the order loan, to be honest. Uh... Sean Murphy does have a story credit in it, so he is shepherding it a little bit, and he also does the covers for it as well. So his involvement is still very much there. Uh, so yeah, highly recommended. Uh, it was very close to pick of the week, but it just annoyed me <laughs> by how it was marketed. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that's what pushed Scumbag over the edge. So yeah, Batman White Knight presents Harley Quinn number one. Uh, sticking in Gotham for now. I know this was one that both Keith and I enjoyed. So Batman 101. Uh, this is essentially the wrap-up issue from the, the end of Joker War, which culminated in Batman 100. James Tenney and the Fourth continuing on writing duties. We have Guillaume March, who has become a little bit of a stalwart in this run with Tinney, and it seems to be if it's not Jorge Jimenez on art, it's Guillaume March. Uh, he even drew one of the stories in Batman 100, 
and this one it's a title it's a story sorry called after the laughter so very much just picking up after joker war and establishing what the status quo is going to be moving forward i thought the art was spectacular in this i was really really impressed with uh game march's art i thought the colors to mo more as well were excellent and it sets up batman in an interesting way going forward it brings him a little bit more back to the street level detective he he has less of the toys to play with. He's not in control of his finances. You know, they've managed to wrestle money back from the Joker. But it's it's essentially in the care of Lucius Fox, who's head of Wayne Enterprises. You know, Bruce, for all intents and purposes, is uh, is pretty much broke. I mean, I, I remember there's a... I'm pretty sure there's a line in this where Lucius says that if, you know, the Batmobile breaks down, he has to fix it himself. <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. So, I know you really enjoyed this one as well, didn't you, Keith? Yeah, I really did. I really did. I I very much like, you know. I think there's something refreshing about, and I know it's I know it's it's just it's something that happens fairly regularly across comic books that you know you have characters resetting, you know, to that more back to basics sort of, you know, in the same way as, you know, they reset Bond with Casino Royale. You know, it was back to the the individual and their skills rather than all the toys. You know. Um, and that's what they're doing here. And and interestingly, they're 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 doing exactly the same in, in Iron Man, and Tony Stark and Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man. Roddy, you know how he's very much yeah. back to basics. Uh, so it's it's once again the big two are mirroring each other with their their billionaire characters. Um, who you know, but uh, I I love Grifter. Grifter is one of my favorite characters in comics. I think he's one of the coolest characters about. Uh, from back in the in the in the Wildcats days of Image Comics. Um. To some extent, I sort of wish Wildcats and and that were still at Image. Uh, you know that 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 they hadn't done that Wildstorm, you know, uh, buyout and so forth, because I think they could probably do a better job with it. But um, just because of the independence of the characters, you know, of independent but established. But Grifter's a very very cool character, and I love how he's he just fights Batman here just just for the crack. You know, just so he can say he can't, he, he he has. <laughs> which was which was kind of cool and you, you kind of wonder here because grifter has similarities to batman as a character certainly with as a, as a combat character and at the end there of that fight grifter pulls out a gun you know a, a gun and a, and a wrist holster and has it pointed at batman's head and and then lucius stops the fight because grifter's been been uh, hired by lucius fox to defend himself defend him and and Lucius stops the fight and you kind of wonder what was going to happen next did Grifter just beat Batman you know that's interesting let's not go too far well I'm just saying that (laughs) Bruce looks a wee bit surprised but is that because he's got a gun to his head and he doesn't like guns I don't know but uh, (laughs) which uh, Grifter says I mostly just wanted to be able to say I, I did that once in my life can you blame me Batman says yes Grifter says fair (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> it was good. And then uh, <laughs> Lucius says, "By the way, Grifter, my kids are coming around later. Try not to fight them." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, that back to basics thing is summing up of what happened in Joker War, uh, all of that stuff. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping Grifter's going to be hanging around for a wee while. I'm hoping Timmy Tinian's going to use him. I get the feeling that he might be. I think that he might be. I mean, it's it's by no means an exhaustive way of knowing that a character's going to hang about. But since Tinian's been on Batman, certainly since around, I think it's issue 92, 
they've been doing these really cool 1 to 25 variants. So obviously we sorted one out for you, Keith, which had uh, Nightwing on the cover. So it was almost mm-hmm. like a design variant of that character. And for this issue, it was Grifter. So it, mm. it does make me wonder if they purposely worked on a design for the character that could then fit into this um, uh, fit into this world. And also the fact that he's been hired as, as you say, as Lucius Fox's bodyguard. You kind of feel like that's setting that up to be paying off down the line. Yeah, but there's a conversation that's had where Batman says, tell your boss. And he's obviously intimating that Lucius Fox isn't Grifter's boss, that there's something else going on. Mm. Uh, so I wonder is there a larger story there but yeah I think it's great I think they sort of set a time limit on this back to basics thing whenever he and Catwoman say one year yeah you know and obviously Catwoman's going to be off doing some stuff in her book I imagine and and uh, and that so yeah I'm really looking forward to I'm really looking forward to seeing what I love I, I really like James Tenney's uh, work on this and I don't think it's it's disrespectful to Tom King I think he's given enough distance and enough time to Tom King's story that you know he's got the freedom to move now um yeah yeah i mean i just i i sort of got the impression that it was and this is not a a criticism by any any stretch of the imagination but i just got the feeling he was undoing sort of the status quo that keen had set up with you know batman and catwoman being a team and being together it was it was a nice way of doing it though it's not like it's a right let's break up i can't exist in this world we've seen that a million times before i mean we saw that in keen's run alone with the wedding with Catwoman basically saying like if you're happy you can't be Batman so at the same time it's interesting because it goes back to obviously the conversation we had with Clay and he was talking about you know continuity being such a a weird thing in comics and if you want your continuity to be Batman and Catwoman still together as a team and romantically involved read Batcat that's your continuity so you know there's nothing wrong at all with Tinian forging his own path and and doing what he wants to do and to be honest i think he's earned that trust at this point so i agree i mean it strike it struck me earlier on that uh tinian is to dc what nick spencer is to marvel oh yeah with oh, regard yeah. to with regard to picking up after uh incredible runs on on flagship characters uh sort of curating events within that character's family and uh, and setting up a new status quo you could even think, be considered uh, to a degree the Donny Cates of DC as well because his indie work is very strong. He's writing the biggest selling book for DC. Obviously, Cates doing it with Venom. Similar to Cates taking over Thor from Jason Aaron. He's taking over Batman from mm-hmm. Tom mm-hmm. Keane. And I know Tinian's heavily involved. I mean, I've talked about Metal. My favorite issue so far is Multiverse's End, which has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. But the most fun issue of it all, and Tinian wrote that as well. So um tinian he's on a hot streak i mean we talk about him all the time something is killing the children department of truth you know we chatted about we probably could have chatted about department of truth for a couple of hours to be honest it's, it's mm-hmm. that interesting uh so yeah but no i totally dig in what he's doing at the moment you know full full faith in, in tinian moving forward as a batman fan so uh, another one i really enjoyed which uh just talking again about those metal one shots so this week it was dark knight's death metal robin king number one this is the first proper look we've had at Robin Keane. Up to this point, Robin Keane's been used just pretty much as a shock character. Uh, he's just sort of flitted in and out of stories. You did see his origin in Legends of the Dark Knights uh, death metal one-shot, but this one really delves into it. And it's really, really interesting to read. It's it's almost worth reading the whole thing. So I should say, sorry, this is uh, written by Peter J. Tomasi, uh, art by Riley Rosmo, and... 
they're the ones who did the uh, the origin story in Legends of Dark Knights. So there's this one great two-page panel at the very start, and it shows off the uh, the Robin King's utility belt, and it's essentially a two-page spread, and then every section of it is numbered one, two, three, four, five, etc. So what you've got is number one, bottled imp. Number two, last remaining Lazarus pit water. Number three, Hephaestus's bind of veils. Number four, Smilax. Number five, Inth metal cuffs, no key. Number six, the small villain, made of every shade of kryptonite. Six B, the god thriller, charged with Zeus's deity killing lightning. Six C, the ring pop forged from the gun used to kill the Wayans, brackets for sentimental value. Uh, Ragman Soul Rags number seven, Unholy Water number eight, Holy Water number nine, Lobo Hook number ten. They put a lot of fun into this issue, and it actually really establishes Robin Keane very much as his own character, as opposed to just like the lackey of the Batman who laughs. I mean, there's a great section in this where uh, the Batman who laughs actually captures him and is just going to turn him into one of his normal Robins, you know, the ones who go about, you know, crow bar, crow bar, all that kind of stuff. But he actually outsmarts him so that he can keep his own, I was going to say his own sanity, but maybe his own insanity. And, uh, you know, he effortlessly takes out DC heroes through this. He takes out Blue Beetle, Animal Man. It's just a really fun, dark, malevolent issue, to be honest. And it actually gives the character of Robin Kane a bit of depth, which is something that I don't think we've really seen thus far. He's just sort of been a, a shock, uh, as I say, a shock character. But as well as that, you also get a backup story with Signal, which is, is really, really good, called The Quiet Ones. And it's written by Tony Patrick and art by Daniel Sampere as well. And it's all about like the sort of lesser-known Bat Family characters working together in Gotham during all this insanity. You know, so you have Signal in the story, you have Spoiler, you have uh, Tim Drake Robin as well, um, Cassandra Kane. So really really fun issue as i say again i don't know how essential it is it's something we sort of talk about nearly every time a new metal one shot comes out this is probably more what you have in mind keith when you say a one shot or a tie-in should add depth but shouldn't be essential that's what i would call this it does add a lot of character work but story-wise there is nothing in here that we don't know already Mm. so uh but a lot of fun to read i have to say i thought it was uh Really, really cool. So that was uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal Robin King number one. And then, of course, we save the best for last, Keith. Oh, uh, yeah. This was this was very close to being my pick of the week. Uh, very, very close. Um, very, very, very close. <laughs> can, so, can you get through uh, this without a tear in your eye? That's the question. Uh, I think it'll be all right. I think it'll be okay. <laughs> um, so uh, Nightwing number 75 with by Dan Jurgens uh, and Travis Moore and uh, Ronan Cliquette on art. Uh, Nick Filardi in colors. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's obviously the first issue of uh, after Juco War with, uh, with Nightwing back in the... Well, almost back in the colors again. Um, so obviously Nightwing has gone through a bit of a, bit of a mill uh, having been shot in the head by KG Beast miraculously surviving, waking up with amnesia, running off to Bloodhaven, living an anonymous life as the cab driver named Rick, but also helping out uh, the individuals who took up the the, the mantle or the mantles of Nightwing uh, in order to protect Bloodhaven. So uh, this is kind of it's an interesting one because Dick's got his memory back, but he just doesn't quite know where he fits in yet. And the issue is actually called "Who Is Dick Grayson?" Um, 
So it starts off with uh, with Tempest and, uh, and Wonder Girl, or Troya, um, sort of coming and seeing Dick and welcoming him back, and uh, just, you know they're all chatting about the earliest days. You know, have you got all your memories back? And he's like, "Yep, the earliest days of the Teen Titans, all there," which I appreciate, you know. And Tempest is like, "Best times ever." Kind of wish we'd held on to that as opposed to the Tempest Nightwing gigs we have now. <laughs> Dick's very much not sure I'd want to be 13 again, Garth. I uh, enjoy the occasional beer, you know. But uh, so he's still feeling a wee bit adrift. Um, meanwhile, back in Moscow, uh, KG Beast learns that uh, that uh, someone who he thought he had killed is still alive and is back and uh, reacts quite badly to it and then uh, heads off in order to finish the job. Um, Dick's back on the streets again, but he's still wearing the uniform that he was wearing whenever he was Rick Grayson, which wasn't his Nightwing uniform. It's this sort of generic blue uh, and red and white uh, sort of uniform. He is using the, the you know, his, his screamer sticks, but, uh, and he's, he's very much enjoying it and that, but he just doesn't know where he wants to be. He doesn't know, you know, and, and Barb is, is trying to, you know, she's calling him Nightwing and everything, and he's just not, he's not into it, you know. Uh, he says it, it you know, I want to do this. I, I, I know what I want to do, but I just don't know if this is how I want to do it, you know, and, and all of that. Um, but uh, it comes down to it anyway. He's fighting side by side with Batman at one stage, and uh, and uh, Batman ends up luring him back towards uh, towards his costume, his original costume again, and uh, and that, and uh, you know, everybody wants him to be Nightwing again, but it's just about what what Dick wants, and that's always been the way with Dick Grayson. He, he he will do what he wants to do, what he thinks is best for him, regardless of what everybody else wants for him. You know, he'll do what's best for, you know, so it's it's really very much on point, but his turning point comes when he visits Alfred's grave and he realises that that's, that's the issue, That and, and we have a, a scene with Alfred, uh, you know, and, and, and Alfred has his words of wisdom. I think as a as a bat fan, Alan, I think you'd enjoy this. Oh, know, I, I read it. Yeah, I, yeah. I very much enjoy. It. I mean, I jumped on the Nightwing, obviously with the Joker reward tie-ins. I it, it might not be a bad thing that I missed out on all the the trials and tribulations of Rick Grayson for a couple of years, but no, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Loved all the stuff with KG Beast and all the people taunting him in the bar and stuff about, you know, yeah. you're the one that missed the bird and all this kind of thing, but. But yeah, that scene with Alfred where he was sort of saying like he couldn't say goodbye properly and he didn't know who he was at the time and that's something he'll have to live with. And then, as you say, the sort of the specter of Alfred hanging over him, having a conversation. Mm-hmm, it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was really great issue. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I love the way towards the end they, uh, they tied in Team Nightwing, who again are the uh, Colleen Edwards and Zach and, and, uh, and Sap, who have been our characters who I now know well, having, having been you know, masquerading as Nightwing during that time, and he more or less asked them to to stand down, and and uh, as he's now back in the back in the uniform again, and he's very very well trained, and uh, they more or less say that they'll be the backup backup team that he needs. You know, if they ever need him, they'd be there. But and then we come down to the part I was really looking forward to, because as you know, at the end of Joker War, whenever Dick got his memory back, his 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 lover B, you know, she's she was Rick's girlfriend, and she doesn't know where she stands anymore and i'm really glad that it looks like you know rick obviously dick obviously remembers who she is and and maybe wants to be there with her you know despite the fact you know so it's a really interesting sort of a thing 
uh, but that's whatever KG Beast appears, of course, and that's where the the uh, the risk, the the real danger in this comes for me. I'm like, God, don't. It'd be very very easy for them now to for KGB to to kill B and and just leave this that part of Nightwing's life behind altogether. But she's the best part of it, and I really don't want to see her going down. So, uh, so yeah. So and uh, it rains on a real cliffhanger. But oh my God, I cannot wait to see. You know, the next issue will be the first issue that Nightwing will start the issue as Nightwing. <laughs> you know, in the costume, and he is gonna he's gonna tear that other arm off KGB Beast. Absolutely. <laughs> and I can't wait to see it. I think you're right. I think I, I don't want to see be killed either. As you said, it would be a very easy, convenient way to wipe it all under the carpet. But Dick Grayson's always been a character that's been motivated by his joy, not by pain and sorrow. You know what I mean? He loves being a superhero. He's not driven by vengeance the way, you know, Batman is or justice or that kind of thing. So I think it would be far be it for us to tell you know, professional comic writers how to do it but i think it would be a mistake just as he rediscovers his identity to then put him down a path of darkness because he's lost a loved one you know what yeah, i mean exactly yeah yeah so i really hope they don't go down that i mean i don't have the same attachment to the character that you do because you obviously you know travailed through the <laughs> the rick grayson years <laughs> but uh i still i can see a bond there and i can see you know a future of some kind so I'd really like to see her her stick around because I actually thought when she walked away in Joker War, like I thought that's it, she's that be it, yeah. she'll just like disappear back to Bloodhaven for now or something. But uh, no, thoroughly great issue. I'm very much aboard the uh, the Nightwing train now, so I'll be uh, I'll be right there with you every week or every month. Sweet. So yeah, so those were some of the DC stuff. Uh, highly, you know, Batman orientated or Gotham orientated, but there you go. But on to Marvel, and again, some great stuff this week. Uh, the first one is something that I was really, really glad to see back. It had been way too long since we had had an issue of this. It can only be Conan. Mm, welcome back. Your thoughts on this, Roddy? Yeah, um, I'm loving it. Like, um, So this is part three. Uh, issue 15, part three of Into the Crucible, and this is Conan... He's deep within uh, the Crucible, which is a sort of a test um, by the god Chali, Chali Mai, which is the god of many deaths. And it's something he's set up for eight people, including Conan, as a test to find uh, like warriors for like this battle at the end of time. It's really, yeah, really great stuff. You're like sort of issue three now so you're deep into jim zub and roger antonio's story arc um yeah i'm absolutely indignant really cool they're sort of exploring a bit of conan's character a bit which i quite like but also there's loads of great action in it too and uh yeah so we'll see we'll see in the fourth issue what happens with conan because it sort of ends with uh, the entire <laughs> the entire place chasing him down <laughs> So yeah, and a wee wrestling, and a wee wrestling mm. reference there with the people's champion. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't, uh, I don't fancy their chances. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I mean, I can't say better than Roddy said. But uh, by Crom, it's good to have Conan back. You, you, you do gotta love the. Uh, the, the it did feel a little bit like a trashy romance novel, though. At one point. You know, there's this page where one of the other sort of contestants starts to seduce him. 
and the way it's written i mean it's obviously written in this way but it's uh the kiss is unexpected and firm but not displeasing one moment you try to cut off my head the next you steal my breath have you gone mad girl many months have passed since i felt the touch of another and felt my blood rise for something more than violence this place is a frigid tomb chimerian i need something warm in the darkness a fleeting bit of pleasure before we're slaughtered here I have no intention of dying in this pit. Fine then, prove it. This just read like an Andy comic for a wee while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's very much the style of it. But yeah, just uh, as as we've spoke about before, I mean, I came late to this on your guys' recommendation and I was so happy to have it back. Love the art in it. I'm, I'm not overly familiar with the artist, uh, Rogue Antonio, but I thought the art in this was awesome. Like really great. It was, yeah. Absolutely. Like that, that big page, especially where he dives into the water after her, and then it's this yeah. big, huge, you know, crocodile um, that he he's essentially taken on. But yeah, loved it. Very, very good stuff. Uh, another one, of course, that we always mention, and we try not to put it as our pick of the week every time, but it would be very easy to slip it in the pick of the week every time. We have Daredevil twenty three once again. Chip Zdarsky doing the Lord's work with uh matt murdoch although he does like putting him through the ringer um and again it's uh, marco cicetto on art for this one as well so great stuff loads of great nods the daredevil runs of the past especially with you know kirsten mcduffie uh some wonderful stuff with keenpin in here like some really violent keenpin stuff in here to say the least some class stuff with spider-man uh, yep, some more great stuff with Spidey uh, and, uh, and Daredevil and Spider Man. They uh, they talk it out. Spider Man may out. as well yep. be shadow at this point. Mm. I I do love that they try to use Spider Man in like a really dark way. You know, he's hanging up there in the rafters by the spider web, and he's encased in shadow. And then the next page, you get Spidey going. I mean, I tried to be dark and menacing. <laughs> But yeah, there's just absolutely, it's one of my favorite pages of the year of any comic. And it's just where Daredevil breaks into this meeting that Wilson Fisk's been having. And he just stands in front of him and says, I'm going to make your lives hell. And just <laughs> Wilson Fisk is this huge, towering figure. But Matt just stands up to him. And then, of course, one of Kingpin's lackey says, F off, you Halloween reject. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,. Yeah, it just continues to be absolutely wonderful. Again, it's another title we recommend to everybody at every opportunity. Some really nice moments with Spidey in this as well, you know. Yeah, you know, especially given the the longer, the long uh, Daredevil Spidey, you know, the all of that sort of stuff. I think it's yeah, it's it's just great stuff. Yeah, I mean, all there, there's a lot of hope in this issue as well. Like, there's tons of darkness, but. The sort of part where they're sitting on the Brooklyn Bridge and they're sort of watching the sunrise and talking it out for hours. They talk about their lives filled with regret, the things they've done. Um, you know, I love that line. I mean, like Zdarsky really is just a cracking writer. I mean, we talk and move through the city we both love, the city we try our best to help, a city that sometimes doesn't love us back. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, just brilliant, brilliant book. Consistent as gravity. Daredevil, we talked about every month that comes out. So, yeah, Daredevil 23. Uh, what else have we got? A little bit of Falcon Winter Soldier, number four. This was another fun issue. Oh, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, that's what you can say about it. It just really was a fun issue. Uh, Veronica, you know, who, they've been, who they, they've been looking for, thinking that she's in danger, is, is actually 
in a competition to be the the head of Hydra, and she's calling her mum through those great. issues. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was <laughs> that was fantastic. The natural. I just love that conversation that they have with the natural, you know, and he's the he's the Uber Captain America fan, you know, and they're in a an American plane over Nevada and they're approaching the coordinates and Falcon's got his Falcon suit on and Winter Soldier's back and his duds and the uh, the natural's wearing like a Captain America costume sort of and he's like, We're the best, we always wear, even before there was an America. We were destined for this, destined to be the good guys. Anyone who stands against us Anyone who stands in our way, they're the enemy. They must be destroyed. And we can do it too. We have the capability. We have the know-how. We have the sheer muscle to destroy anyone we set our sights on, just like Cap. And uh, Falcon says, you really want to be like him, huh? And the natural's like, of course, Captain America's blood is pure American and it flows red, white, and blue. And uh, Bucky's like, yeah, except Steve's parents were uh, Irish immigrants and uh, the Super Soldier Serum was developed by a Jewish scientist born and raised in Germany. <laughs> so... I just love that, you know. It's uh, I, I, those that page was just fantastic for me. But yeah, it's uh, it was just a really, really good issue. Uh, the the fight, the the fight through the sky, uh, you know, with the parachutes and the jetpacks was was brilliant. Uh, yeah, I just this is this is this has just been a fantastic, fantastic series. Derek Landy, um, on uh, Derek Landy on writing, um, is just doing a great job. Uh, so most enjoyable. Most enjoyable and uh, Federico Vincentini on the art. It's just lovely. Yeah, the, lovely. Ca- the campaign to get Derek Landy onto the Falcon and Winter Soldier show starts here. <laughs> so, number four for that. And then one more uh, Marvel tale you want to throw a bit of love at, Keith? Uh, yeah. So, not going to say too much about it. Uh, X Men number 13, part 10 of 22 of, uh, of X of Swords. Uh, X of Swords is fantastic. It's a great, uh, a great uh, mini series uh, or, or, or event series, a family event series. It's been going really great. This issue delves a little bit into the history of uh, of Apocalypse on this and and Apocalypse's children, Apocalypse's wife, and it just the way it, the way it portrays Apocalypse here is yeah, it sets up everything that Apocalypse is, you know, with regard to survival of the fittest and and why where that comes from and why, you know, why is this, this hyper Darwinistic evolutionist and, and that, and it's, it's because, you know, through his wife, the woman he loves before she leaves says, you're not strong enough. You can't come with us. Everybody else is leaving, but you have to stay behind because you're weak and you have to judge them and make sure they become stronger whenever we come back. But, only the strong survive. It's it's unbelievable uh, seeing Apocalypse this way. Uh, so very very good stuff. Um, we're halfway through it. Uh, X Men Stasis is next, I think. Um, but I'm really enjoying this. Really enjoying this event series. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we were talking about it before. It's very much from a retailer point of view, following the same format as House of uh, X and Powers of Ten, and that there almost wasn't an awful lot of hype for it and the pre-order numbers were relatively low and then suddenly word starts getting around about how good it is and uh yeah it's been steadily climbing the charts certainly at, at our stores so uh yeah it's reaching the midpoint this week as you say with uh x of swords stasis number one so yeah cool so that is the marvel side of things taken care of so on to the indie stuff consistent as gravity as i said with daredevil we also have something that's killing the children number 11 uh this is the start of a new arc it seems that something is killing the children. It doesn't seem to take a break the way other indie titles do. It seems to be a monthly thing. 
come hell or high water. Like I was really surprised to see a, a new issue so quickly. So this is a new uh, storyline, as I say, called A Game of Nowhere. And, you know, the stakes just keep getting higher and higher. More and more children keep dying. Uh, more and more horrific imagery. The town is under more and more attack. Uh, you're starting to see a little bit more about the uh, the House of Slaughter as well, which is really interesting to look at. You seem to get introduced to the the head, a character called the Old Dragon, uh, who, of course, has this, you know, beautiful office, you know, filled with old artifacts, has this ridiculously creepy mask. Uh, so he I, does... And yeah, I mean, it took me a wee while to realise it. it is, it's not actually his jaw, it is a mask. Yeah. It's a, like a mechanical mask that he, he clicks open to eat and then clicks closed again yeah he sort, weird. Of, he sort of he sort of has to force it open just to like slurp up a little bit of food uh-huh. um he of course has his own creepy you know doll that talks to him and yeah just really really unsettling so it is and uh i, I like that when he talks everybody listens like there is a sort of a conversation about like should we try and bring erica home this and that and then he just raises his voice i'm still the fucking dragon around here and i want her home and then the answer, of course, is then it will be done. I just, I'm really, what is with, what is with the masks? Yeah. What is going on, like? Um, what is with the black room and the white room? You know, it's, what is with uh, all of this? Yeah, it's, uh, I love it. I it, love it. It's just getting better with every issue. Mm-hmm. The cold opening they had was absolutely fantastic. Just yeah, it was. The, the true horror at the heart of the series, I thought, and um, there wasn't much dialogue in it actually. There's a lot of panels like um, uh, the other, the sort of side story where the main, I don't know, one of the parts of the story is like Erica trying to get out of Archer's Peak and it's like, it's relatively quiet. There's obviously a bit more talking with the the old dragon and stuff, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, Werther Deladera just being awesome. And then Miquel Murto on the colors, just, you know, it's, it's, it's up there fantastic i really enjoy that we opening sequence as well that you know we were talking about an issue before where kids always feel safe if their parents are there you know that's that's when kids feel at their safest and yet in this cold opening it's actually the kid that saves the parent you know mm-hmm. one of the monsters is hanging around and it's like what happened what did this oh jesus and the kid's like i did it it was me it was me and you know either the Either the monster is completely full or there's something else going on there as well. Maybe it's sunlight coming up. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's something to do with the kids. You know, do they have some sort of link to these creatures as well? So it's, uh, do they just prey on their fears? Yeah, just brilliant, brilliant book. Just gets better and better. So the second trade of that won't be far away now, now that a new story arc started. So um, if you're not on it, get on it. It is class. Uh, speaking of... In the title, so June House of Atreides, was it everything you wanted it to be, Keith, as a oh, June fan? Oh, it was, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, written by Brian Herbert and Kevin G. Anderson, uh, Brian Herbert being the son of Frank Herbert, who uh, created June, uh, illustrated by uh, by Dev, um, Dev Malia Pramanik, uh, who I'm not terribly familiar with. Uh, and the cover by uh, I got the J Lee cover, so that's just it's just beautiful, fantastic. So it's it's a prequel. It's a prequel to June. Um, story of June, Arrakis, known as June by the native Freeman, is the only known source of spice. Uh, it's a, a rare and a rare and vital um, 
I guess, resource. Spice enables safe interstellar travel. It prolongs life. It's one of the most valuable substances in the known universe and eventually will become the center of the the novel Dune. Uh, so this is a prequel, follows the, the, the Baron Vladimir Hakunin in his young days, uh, the planetologist uh, uh, Pardot uh, Keynes and uh, the man who will become uh, the emperor, uh, who's now the prince, Shilma. Um, so uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff in here. Um, really, really enjoyed it. It looks gorgeous. It reads well, um, and it's just it's a lovely presented. Uh, you know the the cover is hard cardboard. The pages are beautiful. Um, yeah, just really enjoyed it. Really glad I jumped on it. I would highly recommend it. I think it's going to be a great uh, a great introduction to the a great prequel to the to the movie. Um, but as someone who's read the book, it's a great prequel to the book. Whenever the movie comes out. When the movie comes out. Twenty twenty two. So yeah, and uh, boom, making great use of the property. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got June set aside. It's one of those ones I haven't got to this week, but uh, very much looking forward to getting into it. And I'll be going into that as someone who has never read the book but has seen the David Lynch movie. So I'll get uh, a slightly different experience, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so June House of Atreides number one, uh, another one that we I, I have a feeling is going to become a stalwart of the podcast. Uh, number one was our pick of the week. I think it was mine, but it could have been any of ours to be honest because it was that good. So Stillwater continued this week with Stillwater number two. So Chip Zdarsky again on writing duties, Ramon K. Perez on art. Uh, really, really enjoyed this one. You start to see some of the the machinations of how the how the small town runs. You know, you're introduced to the judge. The, you know, you're you're dealing with the town cops quite a bit. You're dealing with sort of different how different punishments are dealt out in a uh, in a town where people can't die, and the punishment that is dealt out is horrifying. At the uh, at the very end of the issue, you get some flashbacks to you know what happened to the main character as to why he didn't grow up in this town. You get flashbacks to the '90s. You get you get a great reference, which I loved. I had to take a picture of and tweet out about Zdarsky, but a cop catches these two kids on the roof and says, more rooftop horseplay, more daredevil stunts, which I just thought, <laughs> very nice, Zdarsky, very yeah, nice. I didn't notice that, but that is fantastic. <laughs> you know, you've got these really rough cops in it. You've, you know, it's it's just a really interesting setup. It's like people get shot in the throat and stuff like that. But you know that's not it for it because of the way this town works. <laughs> um, love the judge character. I thought it was really, really good. I, lo- I love the whole idea of, you know, it's my job here. Everyone has a job in Stillwater and this one with the greatest burden is mine. I'm good at it. We don't need the courtroom anymore or lawyers or days and days of deliberating. You know, it's it's just a very, very different way of life. And it's a place set up with a very sort of um, set standard of rules. And then I love the stuff at the back as well. You get a little bit of info and sort of cover design and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm loving this book so far. Um, yeah, what a great, what yeah, a great. Me too. Um, so yeah, so Stillwater number two, and then we just are going to finish off then with our titles for next week that we're looking for. That'll do for the reviews, I believe. No dandering with the dead again. I'm not liking this, Roddy. You know this brilliant new feature and. I don't know. We were too, we were too keen almost. I think 
It's all right, Roddy. I mean, I can I can throw you the trades if you want to read issue two. It's it's okay. I'll I'll color it in for you as well. You know, <laughs> give you the full experience. But no, yeah, we'll finish off with uh, our picks for this week's pulls. So these are going to be the releases on the twenty eighth of October. So last uh, new comic book day of October. So three that stand out for myself. Shock Horror, Batman 3 Jokers number 3 is out this week and tops my list. I absolutely love the consistency of how this series has come out. It's one of the few um, one of the positives to have come out of lockdown and the comic printer shutting down and all the rest. There was no doomsday clock like release scheduling. Consistent as gravity, last released uh, window of the month it's come out. Thoroughly looking forward to that. Speaking of number threes, we've got Canto 2, The Hollow Man number three, continuing on the adventures of our favourite knight. And then we have, for me as well, of course there had to be a Tom Taylor title, Suicide Squad number 10, as he is getting close to closing out his run on that. Uh, what about yourself, Roddy? What uh, stands out for you? Nice one. Um, well, I like the symmetry of this. Um, so I've got G.I. Joe number nine. Looking forward to where that's going. We've also got the fantastic Philadelphia number nine. And we also have Undiscovered Country number nine. Ooh, all so, the nines. That is all the nines. A... Nine, nine, nine. Well, every book that you picked and every book that Roddy picked are tickling my fancy and they're all on my pull list. Um, so that's good. So uh, for me, uh, John Constantine Hellblazer number eleven, the book that I just don't want to go away, alongside Batman Beyond, that that DC are sending away. So number eleven, a message from Clem Thurso, the most virulently bigoted politician in the UK. Take your pick. Unexpectedly sends John on a journey deep into the heart of occult evil and down into a chamber below Parliament, where something truly unspeakable waits. What's Boris doing down there? Um, <laughs> He's hoarding uh, all Lazarus, the school meals. Yeah, absolutely. Lazarus Risen number five. So this continues uh, the, I guess, the quarterly uh, version of, of Lazarus uh, by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. Uh, it's a bloody new chapter in the Lazarus saga as the Carlyle family and their allies launch an offensive on all fronts to end the conclave of war. Meanwhile, forever Carlyle, that means keeping a promise. And for the Moray family, it means a visit from La Lazara. So uh, looking forward to looking forward to that it, it, it doesn't come around very often but whenever it comes around it really does come around um it's, it's a really good book um lazarus is fantastic and then i'm also looking forward to I mentioned earlier x of swords stasis number one which is chapter 11 of x of swords a ritual a parliament a game begins as x of swords reaches its midpoint yes mm -hmm. indeed because yeah that's the way x of swords is going to work just in case you're unfamiliar with it you have a one-shot to kick it off with X of Swords creation. You have X of Swords stasis in the middle, and then at the end there will be X of Swords destruction with all of the uh, the accompanying titles in between. And uh, that way that is written by Hickman, Jonathan Hickman and Tini Howard. The artist on that one-shot is Mahmoud Azrar. Ooh. Intriguing. He of Conan. He of mm -hmm. many things. So uh, what is it he's taken over? We... we we saw there was an artist leaving something and Mahmoud Azrar was taking over. Oh yes, what was it? I can't remember. We were we were I was we upset about the artist leaving but excited about their replacement. Yeah. That'll come to us. I'll yeah. I'll edit it in later. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's gonna do it for us. So that was us uh, catching up then for the last couple of weeks. So the best of the releases from the fourteenth of October, 
and the best of the releases from the 21st of October. So yeah, that is going to do it for us. I just remembered it's X-Men He Takes Over because Lino Yu was leaving. That's yes. right. Brilliant. Result. Uh, anyway, pleasure as always, gents. Uh, I will look forward to seeing you in store. So I uh, hope yes. everyone listening stays safe out there and uh, we will look forward to seeing you in store. So thanks once again, guys. Nice to chat to you. Good night. Keep on winging it. I made a terrible mistake. Oh, yeah? Uh, I've put Nightwing as Marvel just because it's so good. Um. (laughs) Fucking hell, that is a statement. (laughs)